Halloween night. A small American town. 15 years ago. Shot him six times. I shot him in the heart. Man, he's not human. You don't believe in the boogeyman. I pray every night that he escape. What the hell did you do that for? So I can kill him. You don't really know much about Halloween. I spent eight years trying to reach him. And then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise. At the end of each episode, along with our honorary sleazoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon, we decide on the on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an on-air shout-out and two bonus episodes every single month, which... Oh God! It's been nine or ten months now. You I guys think, have been good to us. Yeah, I think the we last. Appreciate it. I think the last time I looked, we were, did seventeen or eighteen patron mm. episodes. So for anyone who hasn't made the jump, there's like eighteen episodes, thirty six movies yeah. discussions, uh, <laughs> just waiting for you back there. So go check that out. And uh, speaking of which, we do have a bunch of new patrons this week. We've been getting a lot of patrons recently. Yeah, uh, we appreciate the, you. We, we got we got a we got a bump from that uh, Gremlins episode. Everyone yeah. seemed to really love. So anyway, welcome. Uh, Will Harahan. I feel like I recognize that name. He might be he might be making his way back. But anyway, a return. We yeah, maybe you return. Back. There's if a couple. If you do, maybe we're mistaken. But. Yeah. <laughs> if not, what's up, Will? Thanks for thanks for being with us. Uh, we also have Dylan Voiren. Thanks, Dylan. Uh, we have Leo Nichols. That's a cool name. That thanks, Leo. Awesome. Uh, and then I think another returner. We have Julian Kopkus. So Julian, thanks so much. I feel like I recognize that name. So if you're if you aren't coming back, thanks for being with us. And if you are coming back, welcome welcome back yes. to the. Uh, to all those patron episodes, we got uh, two on, coming on the way every single month. I'm your host, Josh Lewis, and joining me as always is my co-host. Jamie Miller, welcome back. Yeah, and oh shit, I forgot the other plug. iTunes, Stitcher. Uh, <laughs> so uh, many. Yeah, if you guys are listening to us on whatever your podcast listener of choice, I know that there's a Google one, but I have no idea what that's called. Whatever podcast thing you're listening to us on, give us a good old rating and review if you're liking the show. It really helps us helps find, us. yeah, it really helps us find new listeners uh, and gets, uh, you know, more people going, more support, which we always appreciate. Uh, but two weeks ago would have been the last time you guys would have heard from us free listeners where we would have been talking uh, pieces yeah. and slugs two 80s exploitation trashter pieces. Oh, yeah. Uh, so much trash by so much fun jp simon we had uh, eric peacock on to talk about that a dumpster diving uh trash man who told us off air that he buys up all kinds of vhs's on amazon and watches all kinds of movies that no one's ever heard of in <laughs> yeah. hopes of finding treasures like he did with uh pieces yeah we'll definitely have to have him back on because uh he i think i feel like he'll find us some gems yeah he's a, he's a trash historian is yeah, what we're <laughs> exactly. gonna call him uh and he was a lot of fun to talk about jp simon with especially uh pieces which was a completely bizarre film that we uh adored across the board everyone yep. did um so that was two weeks ago for free listeners uh patrons though you guys would have heard from us just one week ago where we would have been talking uh giallo master 
Mario Bava or one of them. There's a couple Giallo guys yeah. out there who were all pretty good. But Mario Bava, very uh, interesting stylist. And we talked two very different films of his. His 1960 film Black Sunday, which was kind of a gothic monster movie horror. Lots of cobwebs and castles. And, and uh, violence. Uh, which yeah. Which was like that, still that mask. That mask scene, the what? hammer into the, oh, into the yeah. face. Yeah, oh, and I, I think that was what really threw people off about Very that metal. film was that there was some pretty hefty gore in that film for 1960. Definitely. And especially in the style of like a Universal Monster movie where you would expect a little bit more of a classy uh, yeah. sort of attitude. And it does have and that the best of both for Mario worlds. Mava, yeah. But it's, it's a really interesting uh, sort of contradiction that you get there when you're watching these very sort of like theatrical style drama and then all of a sudden someone like explodes or... <laughs> yeah, or- like the blood's just oozing out of dripping out of someone's and, face and yeah. like yeah exploding eyes things like that such a contrast yeah. uh and then we followed it up with his 1971 film a bay of blood which was uh, on the record as possibly the first ever uh what we know as the body count slasher yeah uh which was uh you know uh, lots of sex crazed teens go to a cabin on a on a bay and uh, some people kill each other really brutally. A guy, a teen gets cleaved in the face. Uh, another person gets their head uh, torn right off. It's the, uh, just like the classic, uh, the classic pole oh, sex uh, yeah, violence. Uh, a spear death. right through two people having sex. That Friday the 13th ripped from. Yep, yep. Disappointed to find that out a little, but uh, Bay and of Blood's got the championship belt now. <laughs> exactly, and done in Mario Bava's uh, very unique style. That movie was a lot of fun to talk about. So that was on patreon.com slash podcast for anyone who hasn't heard that one yet. Go out and check it out. I guess it kind of leads into what we're doing It does this lead week. into this, Slasher. this week's episode because that was 1971, and this week we have a very special episode for you guys that we'll, oh, ha- yeah. we'll need a little bit of explaining for all of the new listeners because we have had quite a lot of new listeners since we did the, our original Death Wish episode. But very yeah. early on in this show, I think it was episode two or three, there was a new yeah, it was death- really early. It was really early. Yeah. It was in like February or something. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it was one of our first episodes. Uh, Eli Roth released a new Death Wish movie in theaters and Jamie and I, in order to get uh, amped for it, we were like, and to just get amped that you know the the current pop culture somehow related to what we like to talk about yeah like, these, oh, these genre and exploitation again. films yeah. exactly so we were like okay there's a new trash movie and it's eli roth at the helm so based on a trash franchise so let's talk about the death wish franchise and we did death wish one death wish two and the absolutely bonkers death wish three so good uh and we had a lot of fun Loved talking it. about those films so we kind of contextualized the entire death with wish with a little bit on death wish <laughs> franchise uh, which has all kinds of uh, weird 70s and 80s reactionary politics and lots of crazy... Uh, it's almost like a slasher movie, but the the killer is like the good guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> it's just taking down those scummy criminals, man. Exactly. It's it, it's really a uh, hilarious time. If you haven't heard that episode... Even if they're running away and I'm shooting them in the back. <laughs> if you haven't heard that episode, go back and check that one out. But we, we compared it to Eli Roth's new Death Wish that came out this year, which unfortunately we didn't like very much. No. We don't need to go into why. No, we, 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 we will if, if we, conti- like, 
we start. So exactly. Might we, as well stop we, now. we thought that movie was incredibly boring and yep. not offensive at all when yep. that was what we wanted. We needed more trash. Exactly. I wanted more reactionary politics. I wanted more gruesome, straight-up murder. Yeah. And I needed more what Eli Roth usually does. Yeah, and Eli Roth was like, nah, I'm, I'm just going to make like a home invasion thriller and call it a day. And I was yeah. like, okay. Okay, <laughs> thanks. And that was Dude that. Dude that made hostile. But uh, in, in similar in structure to that episode, we are going to be talking today about David Gordon Green's 2018 sequel, 40 Years Later, yes. to John Carpenter's 1978 uh, slasher masterpiece. Which, spoiler alert, Halloween. a lot better than Death Wish was. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so we're going to talk about, at the end of the show, we're going to talk about David Gordon Green's Halloween, which I'm hoping a lot of you saw uh, on this yeah, coming this weekend. Yeah, this will be $80 million domestic box office yeah. for an R-rated horror movie, which is pretty bonkers. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of you clearly did go and see it. And uh, we might, on that segment, delineate a little bit between. We'll start maybe with not a lot of spoilers. Sure. And then we're going to go spoilers, though, because we That's do- That's just fo- what the show is. We do full out analysis on this show yeah, so like if yeah. you want to hear what we think about these kinds of films you gotta you gotta get into the spoilers so yeah. that's what we're gonna do so watch it first <laughs> so the first few minutes i think of the halloween david gordon green halloween from that just came out uh would have been a week ago uh we're gonna get a not do spoilers and then we're gonna go into a spoiler section and yeah. we will we will call that out in advance but to contextualize this new halloween we figured we would go back and we would talk john carpenter's 1978 Halloween, the original. We're going to talk about its uh, sequel in 1981, Halloween 2, directed by Rick Rosenthal. And then we're also going to talk about maybe the, <laughs> the strangest one came entry. Out of left field. We're going to talk about uh, John Carpenter collaborator Tommy Lee Wallace's Halloween 3 season of The Witch from 1982. Uh, with Which a little is very mixed reviews. With yeah. People, it seems. With, with a little bit of discussion on a, some entries from the entire franchise. We're going to kind of contextualize yeah. the franchise for you guys, and then we're going to see how David do- Gordon Green sort of uh, followed up an entire, holy crap, like 10 movies, 11 movies worth of yeah. Halloween movies. Because I do have some some questions for you. I know that you just watched like every fucking one of them, yeah, including I, the Rob Zombie ones. Yep, I did every single Halloween episode in preparation. So I have some questions right, for movie. like the the later sequels. Yeah, like five and six Because I haven't rewatched them since I was like yeah. 12. So I, I definitely want to, like Paul Rudd is in one of them. Like oh, it's yeah. just crazy to me. I so. actually <laughs> liked that one weirdly enough because it was so strange, so <laughs> yeah. bizarre. But we're going to get, that's just that we're going to focus on Halloween uh, 1, 2, and 3 from the 70s and 80s, uh, but we are going to get into a little bit of discussion on the entire franchise as we do that, yeah. and then we're going to see how David Gordon Green followed up that entire franchise and whether he was successful or not, Definitely. Uh, at, uh, and, and what he was successful or not in, Yeah, and that's what we're going to do. So that's going to be today's episode, so let's do it. We're going to be talking Halloween. Halloween. And Halloween 2. And Halloween 2. And Halloween 3. And Halloween Season three. of The Witch. <laughs> let's do so, it. So let's do it.
night he came home. I do love a good joke, and this is the best ever. A joke on the children. I'm glad you'll be able to watch it. You've got to believe me. They're going to kill us. All of us. Stop it! The world's going to change tonight, Doctor. Happy Halloween. Stop it! Halloween 3. Season of the Witch. The night no one comes home. All right, so we are talking Halloween 1978, the uh, moody American slasher film directed and scored by one John Carpenter and co-written by John Carpenter and his then-girlfriend, I believe at the time, Deborah Hill. Okay. The film stars Jamie Lee Curtis as a teenager and Donald Pleasance as Dr. Loomis. And Deborah I guess, Hill had a big part in like all three of the, the first three, she, I believe, She was right? one of John Carpenter's biggest collaborators, mm, okay. and uh, Halloween is very much her baby as well, as uh, she was actually the uh, eighty or the 70s babysitter. Oh, so okay. a lot of the whole teen dialogue and discussions and stuff kind of came from her. Oh, uh, interesting. So that it was a, a lot of it was a little bit. I wouldn't say autobiographical, but it was a lot. <laughs> yeah, of, I would hope not. <laughs> a lot of the modern teen stuff that happens in Halloween uh, came from from her when they okay. when they approached John Carpenter and said we want to make a movie about kind of like a babysitter killer. Like someone had the idea of making like a a killer serial killer who kills a bunch of babysitters, and they right. had to come up with the story and how to make it authentic from there. Yeah. Um, and that was basically what they did. And the thing that always surprises me me about Halloween every time I watch it for some reason is is how simple it is oh for sure N- narratively yeah. this is like as stripped down as you could possibly get right because I think also people tend to remember the sequels a little bit and yeah you know how we have the lore of like eventually Michael is uh his her brother Lori's brother things yeah. like that yeah. this movie has none of that it's just like the straightforward here's a killer and he's a force of nature, and and he's just going. And after he's returned these to his hometown to yep. just inflict pain, and it doesn't. Exactly. There's no rhyme or reason to it, really. He's just, which is kind of the scariest part of it. Yeah, he just he he has a drive. I think that's the the coolest part about Michael Myers as a character is that you know there is something about him that has lasted mm-hmm. clearly that people keep wanting to see it. Right. Uh, and I think for me watching it, it is just that there is this this sort of he has obviously this inhuman mask. Yes. This sort of just it's like a blank faceless. Face expressionless but the the way that this performance and i forget who it is who's under the costume but he's a friend of john carpenter's and Mm -hmm. apparently the guy didn't get paid very much to do it because he was just john carpenter was like we have no money can you just please like walk around and stab people (laughs) exactly he was like i just need someone to walk into frame and i'll direct you and all this yeah but his friend apparently was a dancer oh so and that that really adds i think to michael because he has a bit of like a a grace when yeah. he moves and he and he has there there is something everything's very smooth yeah it's yeah. very smooth and it's just slightly off kilter enough that it feels a little inhuman but he is making choices right because he's just, very straightforward it's almost robotic but there's still a, it's too a smooth. human element to it it's, yeah it's just yeah. too smooth it's like clearly there's there's something there's a, a driving force here that is saying we need i need to kill but he's <laughs> yeah. doing it with so much almost like a confidence and like a, yeah. he knows what he wants to do it's almost instinctual the way that he moves 
moves. Something and it makes him find, really creepy. Yeah, something else I find odd uh, in a way is is how he, it's almost like he's intrigued with death. He doesn't almost mm. quite even understand it. He just knows that he wants to cause it because every time he looks at a body that he's just, you know, dismembered or It's or a cold stabbed, observation. Yeah, he tilts his head. He's got this weird, like, what am I looking at kind of thing. Like, it's almost like he's kind discovering, of <laughs> like, he's like a scientist, but for death. Like, he's just, he's just intrigued by exactly it. which is kind of why because this is going to be a crazy episode because we're going to constantly talk about things that from yeah. all over the franchise go but, but that was something i did like about david gordon greens is that there's a bit where the new dr loomis the new science psychiatrist for michael is really intrigued about what he feels what does michael feel yes. when he kills and that's exactly what you're talking about is there there is an interaction happening there yeah he's but not completely blank it no. seems like he's th- it, it seems like he does have thought yeah it's just very primal and very basic yeah it's it's uh it's it's kind of yeah you're right there is something primal i think they describe him as uh something like it's it's elemental they describe like 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 a fate like it's just a it's a force yeah it's Um, like he is death itself yeah like that whole kind of angel of death kind of thing yeah and i mean dr loomis famously or donald pleasance i guess famously says the line he's pure evil yeah that he he's he's kind of just this this uh his eyes were blank or something like yeah he's he's like earth or fire or he's he's just he's he just exists yeah he's out there yeah and what i find most interesting about this film because as we talk about the the basic story is very simple it's that there's a young Mm. michael uh, we get a one of the first sort of like POV slasher, yeah, voyeur, and the great addition shots. to the uh, the eye holes, yes, for the mask to where it kind of obscures vision a little bit like yeah. that. But the smoothness of the glide cam still kind of throws you off because like the camera is moving very with purpose, mm-hmm. but you're also having you can't fully see everything that's happening, and yeah. that's almost scarier when he eventually does go up the stair and stab, and stab his sister, yeah. and you just get the shot of the knife kind of going going in and, and out down, of the eye yeah. hole yeah and uh do you think there's also now it, it kind of it kind of varies from it as the sequels go but yeah. in this one i noticed he really can't do anything uh violence or anything without his mask there's actually a sequence where jamie lee curtis is like fighting against him it's it's near the end and she oh, takes and she pulls off his, his mask, mask yeah and it seems like he has to put it back on before yeah. he continues to do the violence and i really liked that part of the character it kind of doesn't work later on like he, there's moments where he doesn't have his mask and he does kill but in oh, this yeah. movie specifically just this one it seems like it's almost like a, a a way to defend himself like a defense mechanism of some kind like a tiny bit because there definitely is kills that happen in this movie without it they just mostly all happen off screen because there's people he kills oh, before there are in this movie before he, I thought even when he was a kid he had to put on the mask before he kills his sister well he, he doesn't have a mask when he breaks out of the hospital right and he's attacking oh, people you're right, you're right and then he eventually right. kills a mechanic and steals the mask that you're is right. a, or he steals the mask from like a hardware store in the film okay yeah, uh, but you're, you're right. right that there's no on screen death but that is a really interesting moment and I don't know that it's necessarily that he needs the mask to do it but there is something about it that makes him feel more comfortable i think i think yeah, i think there's just maybe, something yeah. about a mask that makes that he he, he doesn't it, there's it, strength to him in that or well something i think it's like to that. remove can, the humanity from right him. i think it's to be like look this is not a person it's that almost, was pretty much my it, thought it's, there, it's yeah. almost like his 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 face his flesh face is you know in in that sort of sort of like broad sort of corny way that's his mask yeah that finally when he puts on this thing is when he, he feels, feels himself and yeah he feels yeah that, that he's Definitely. again he's just this force um but in the opening scene he kills his sister 
and then we follow him, a young Michael. I think they said he's like six years old or something. And he's, yeah, and he's he, very young when he does these murders. Well, and, and that's the shocking moment, the big reveal, when they they rip, the parents rip the mask off, and they're like, who was this? And it's a little kid, and they're like, Michael, like, what did you do? Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, and he just looks like a very normal kid. He's yep. like, like, they didn't put any makeup on him or anything. No, he's it's just not like, like this blonde, like, blue-eyed kid that just destroyed his yeah, family. Yeah, it's not like the Rob Zombie one, where, like, you're right. like, this kid looks like a troubled child. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> he looks like he doesn't necessarily have yeah, the best home which life. Which I guess, uh, just to speak on the differences there, I think that that's actually creepier that he's just this, mm. you know, normal, everyday, average yeah. six-year-old that was probably just watching cartoons on a Saturday. Yeah, it, and it now really, he's it really, stabbing his sister it, multiple times. It does get at what, what John Carpenter is trying to do because what he gets at through this narrative of this very sort of like small town babysitters and teen movie style yeah. film and then he brings it into the realm of horror and the slasher, what he kind of gets at with that is that these scary things are hiding underneath the surface of normal things. Right. Of, Just the suburbs. Yeah, this, this domestic life. suburbia. Yeah. There is a weird kind of abstract wavelength of death that just sits underneath it. And this is perhaps yeah. my favorite part of the film because this is what separates, this is what creates the faded duo of Laurie and Michael. This mm. is what it is, is that there is Michael feels isolated and it's sort of an implied reason for maybe why he's doing what he's doing. Yeah. And he's isolated because he's his own unique force. Yeah. Um, and then obviously he also spends 15 years literally in isolation. Yeah. Uh, like so how could this guy coexist? He, he, he does not get along well with other people. No. <laughs> um, but Lori in her own way is, is also isolated from a lot of her friends. Yeah. She's um, very much of like more of the loner compared to the other ones. She's not as interested in the boys and, yeah. and things like that. Well, people she keeps to herself. People a lot of time talk about Halloween in the context of, cause this film is kind of, if, if not the first one to do it, it is a little bit responsible for popularizing the idea that like, the horny teens are the ones to die because they're yeah. like transgressing or they're, they're doing drugs or they're doing this. Yeah, so they're, they're going to the get, so they're going to get punished. Yeah. But what I think Carpenter and, and a lot of movies that followed Halloween and tried to rip off Halloween did do that. Like a lot of the yeah. Friday the 13th movies and things like that did do stuff like that. Oh, but yeah. John Carpenter was a lot more interested in just the idea of isolation that all of her friends are, they, they have partners. They have people that they're hooking up with. They have people that they have relationships with, even if it's just like a platonic friendship. Like all of these people yeah. don't have feel... someone to latch on yeah, to. Yeah, there's something kind of like achingly lonely about what Lori feels. And she has a couple moments where she reveals that, where she's like, you know, I can't go talk to the boy. I can't ask someone to go to the dance with me. I can't, you know, like you can do that because that's your personality type. I'm not yeah. that type. And, like that, and that's what it kind of gets at is this idea that she... So her long lost love is Michael Myers. <laughs> well, no, what it does is that it, it makes her more observational because she's yeah. someone who's always just similar to the voyeurism of the opening scene of Michael. She's someone who kind of sits off at the side and watches other people. Yeah. And that's why most interestingly, she's the one who notices Michael. Nobody else right seems away. to notice Michael or even, or if they do, they don't care. Yeah. They're they just, just brush like, him off. They're, they're like, just, some creepy weirdo. Yeah. There's just a guy, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And half the time they don't, most of the characters other than Dr. Loomis, who is isolated by almost his 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 obsession yeah. with 
with Michael. It seems like Dr. Loomis, Laurie, and Michael are all connected by a form of almost like cosmic isolation. Um, And that all of them are on the same wavelength. Like they're all walk, they all see this kind of darkness, which is why Dr. Loomis is begging everyone being like, there is pure evil here. None of you understand. Like we have to fix this, blah, blah, blah. And everyone's like, shut up. Like, like, and Laurie feels it too though. And Laurie's obviously the most frightened by it before anything's even happened. Mm -hmm. So that's, what's really interesting. And, And John Carpenter really gets at all of this, not through narrative, really. It's all through style. It's all through this sort of pioneering style of both the glide cam photography, which was one of the first movies to actually use it in the way that they did. Um, You can find awesome footage of them experimenting with it before they actually shot with it online. So if you guys look up like 1977, like glide cam tests, Halloween, you can see like John Carpenter and Dean Cundy, like kind of like just like shooting themselves, walking through the parking lots and like trying to like figure out how this would move and work. Um, Something and I also really liked about the camera work here was like, cause we were discussing last week, a Bay of blood, which yeah. had a lot of those POV kind of like the stalker shots. Yeah, what yeah. I like about this movie is they took that and they were kind of like, why don't we just hold it? Why don't we just keep the stalker shot going? The length of the shots in here yeah. are crazy. Cause then it's, it, it becomes less of like, cause with Bay of blood, you were like, Oh, someone's watching, but you don't yeah. feel like that real, like you don't feel that person. But with this one, you, you're watching Michael Myers go through entire sets and things like that. So yeah. you're just, you feel like you're almost with Michael uh, rather than, yeah, there's they, no mystery behind John Carpenter killer. almost like implicates us in what Michael's doing yeah. because you're sitting there watching him the same way that he likes to like clearly yeah, do this Yeah, because it's right from the shoulder or it's even a direct POV uh, shot. So yeah, yeah you well, really connect with him. <laughs> on yeah. a scary level in a way. Yeah, with the filmmaking. And the, yeah. the the big thing about the style too is that he used, uh, I think, I don't know, I, I don't know the history on this one, so I'd have to see, but I know that people were really shocked by his use of widescreen images in this because I don't okay. think horror usually did that kind of thing. Like most yeah. people assumed scope images were for like musicals and like big films. Like Lawrence yeah. of Arabia is like a big, like, uh, like I think they call it like a Vista vision or a Panavision style. Right. Um, wide frame but he uses this wide frame on a like a $300,000 budget or something which was considered low at the time and he does it for small domestic scenes but what it does is he it creates so much negative space for him where you'll see like Laurie in the foreground of a frame but he has so much camera in the background of something that your eye just naturally goes oh what's over there Yep. What am I? What am I? Like he, like he, and he, then he'll he, geniusly place Michael in specific little spots, and it's not a nu- like it's not a lot. So you're not like, okay, this is getting old. He just does it a few times, yeah. and then those moments you notice Michael, you're just it gives you this this creepy sensation up your spine. It's well, yeah, just, and so what he does is that he almost trains your eye to investigate these huge yep, wide frames, exactly. and your eyes are looking for something, and then always, always while you're watching it, it's it's as soon as he puts that thought in your head where it's like Michael could be there exactly. as soon as there's that one scene your whole your eyesight the entire movie is now just like background where is he where's yeah. michael yeah well because yeah. he also implies it too because there's other shots where like you know Lori will be in like the background with her friend like walking up the sidewalk but in the in the foreground on the right side you'll see like the bushes yeah and then you'll see michael's just like hand come into frame just 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 yeah. slightly on like the the right side of the frame while the conversation is happening on the left yep. and you'll just get like a an over the shoulder shot of michael or something like that mm. and like 
And Again. something I didn't notice the first time I watched this, or I guess the first couple times I've watched this, yeah. uh, was the heavy breathing that he added. Oh, yeah. Which really just adds that. And, 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 that and it, always, it always happens in those shots, too, the ones yep. that are like over his shoulder or over his hand or whatever, where yeah. he's just, because he's in the foreground of those shots and you can hear the. <sighs> Yeah, and like that kind of stuff, uh, and then they use that brilliantly at the end too, which is we'll oh, get to abs- it. absolutely, just to yeah, kind of remind you that it's like like the spirit is still there, you know. Like yeah, the, like, well, that's where it gets into the realm of like the transcendent, where it's like yeah, you this is this, this is, was elemental. Th- th- like this it, existed before this story started, yeah, and it's going to exist after this story is ended. Basically, yeah. that there's something cosmic about Michael that's yeah. beyond that, that. That's that's where the more abstract quality of Halloween gets into, which to me, honestly when we get into later films that we're going to talk about, mm-hmm. like that is honestly what kind of made it as scary as it did. And I yeah. find that the best Halloween films were the ones that did do that kind of otherworldly quality. Not that, just, he's a guy with a knife and he's going to kill you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, um, but there's, again, there's, there's some of the tracking. I guess that's where like the simplicity comes to its advantage because we have that elemental feel to it. So the mm-hmm. simplicity doesn't necessarily hinder on the yeah, yeah like you, you don't you don't need a plot or a narrative complexity to this because the style itself is telling a, almost a different story right exactly uh, which is just and again we're huge fans on this show of filmmaking telling a story versus you know like just dialogue me, telling yeah, a story exactly here's all the stuff that so happened. seeing what john carpenter did here that be, you can see why it became as popular and why it had lasting power because you know again watching that scene where like uh, michael is like just following the kid in a tracking shot just outside the fence yeah and he's like walking along and then there's another shot where Michael is like driving the car. And there, again, there's something about seeing his hands even just like turn the wheel when he's like twisting doing it like this. anything human. It's just yeah, because, creepy. <laughs> because the way that the performer is doing it is, again, there's something so smooth and graceful, but still just like slow enough and deliberate yeah. enough that you're kind of like, it's almost like a conscious choice. Like what we talk about sometimes when we talk about, what was it? Was it Arnold Schwarzenegger we talked about in Raw Deal? Yeah. Who did that thing where it was like, he had very robotic movements that didn't suit the character. Yeah. This is a robotic movement that does suit the character. Absolutely. These are yeah. kind of movements that you're, they're just inhuman enough that you're you're thrown off by them and then done in this huge wide composition where you can hear the breathing and you can see him looking at his prey and you're just like it's 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 almost unbearable to watch sometimes like it's really fucking scary (laughs) yeah it's very scary uh and that's what kind of gets us into as we're kind of moving on here uh gets us into the big climax of the film which is a lot of teen death uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> a lot of Michael kind of poking out of the shadows, a lot of the, the really famous thing that people seem to mostly steal from this, which is a lot of the sort of like false start anticipation mm-hmm. where there's a lot of tracking shots of, you know, widescreen photography of people looking around and having already trained our eyes to know that Michael could pop out of any shadow. We're At terrified. Yeah. And that, that kind of building of suspense and that eventually, um, he gives you the relief, uh, which is not really relief because in a horror movie, the relief is like watching someone die. Yeah. And, you know, in certain slashers where that is the fun part, um, you get a thrill out of that. But in this one, it's kind of just horrifying. Like yeah. the, the bit where he pops out None of the of back. None of the deaths feel like, like, oh shit, you killed him. It's more just like, oh God. Yeah. Like, like, like the, the, bit, <laughs> the bit where he strangles the girl from the back of the car, where he pops out of the back seat right. and he starts strangling her and she's like honking on the horn and screaming. And the condensation is building inside of the vehicle because of such, all the heavy breathing and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the one where he takes the knife and he stabs the dude in, he strangles him yeah. and then 
basically shish kebabs him into the wall which has become just iconic like that's yeah that's got to be one of the most iconic deaths in the film and i think that's one of the first times we see him do his intrigue head tilt yeah where he's kind of like oh i did something new here <laughs> like, <laughs> it's almost like he discovered something neat <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but then there's also the bit where he comes up behind the girl um and he strangles her while she's on the telephone with Lori, which is horrifying. Oh, yeah. And she's screaming and Lori's and just Lori like, are you? that she's having sex, which yeah, is just yeah. a great little, I mean, a, a mix between horror and the kind of a comedic moment. Yeah, because at first I think she thinks she's having sex and then she thinks that she's like playing a prank around, on her. Yeah. And, then, and then she takes it a little more seriously because Michael picks up the phone and just breathes into the phone. Yeah. Uh, and you're just like, uh. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and Lori's already had these like vibes the whole time. So I think that was a big clue for her. Uh, something's gone wrong. Exactly. Cause, cause she's, she's baby- the one that's been like, something is off right now. And I just can't quite put my, yeah. And then all it. of her friends who are ignoring it are the ones feeling the consequences for it. And she right. goes next door. She finds all of the bodies in this really horrifying sequence where like Michael has like contorted them all basically. Yeah. Like stuffed them into closets and like, uh, he put the Judith, Judith Myers grave, like on the bed yeah. and stuff like that. Uh, it's, it's really, uh, <laughs> really gross. Uh, the movie and again it's just made more unbearable by John Carpenter's really suspenseful style mm-hmm. um, and moody and style score. I oh mean, like, yeah we didn't even talk about the score it, yet it's what I like too the very about simple the melody score. yeah and what I like about the score is a, a lot of the horror stuff has this tone of mystery mm-hmm. whereas I find this one just goes right out the gate it's like no this is horrific like yeah. I don't I don't get a, a sense of a lot of mystery or unknowing when I hear the score I just hear dread like yeah. I just hear something bad is coming. Dun, 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 dun. Like something is, is coming towards you. Yeah. You and I, I believe I read that it was in like a, a 10, eight time or something like that, which I've oh, heard wow. is like really, like a really kind of off kilter time signature. Oh, yeah. yeah. So like, that's the time he put it in. Cause I guess that it was also called complex five, four or something. Yeah. Is what yeah. They said. yeah. But I you mean, would know that te- you're the, you're the music guy. They're like very similar. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So it, that, it depends on how you, apply you would, it. you would know it, but that's, that's what he said that he did the styling. Cause it's, it's very, it's just a piano. They didn't have money to do anything else. So he basically just, did a bit of a piano and a tiny bit of synth because synth was kind of becoming a new thing at that point. Yeah. Um, which I, with future scores, he would go full synth, which is what he got really, really famous for. Yeah. But he said with Halloween, he was like, he cranked out the score in like three days wow. and he, with a piano and like, that was all he Absolutely had. Absolutely. An iconic score yeah. in three days. That's yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And he doesn't know how to write music. He just yeah. said that he just, <laughs> that guy's brilliant. He just feels it. He's a, he's a natural artist. I mean, technically that's like what I do too. Yeah. Uh, it, I feel like a lot of the people that write, um, scores and things like that, at least at a you level know, of what you, he was doing. You know if something works or doesn't as an artist. Exactly. You don't necessarily, and I especially do. for something like this, you don't need the Hans Zimmer 30 piece orchestra, exactly. you know, like that kind of shit. So uh, the simplicity of the score really works. And the fact that it just hammers home a dreadful feeling right away with yeah. no real mystery, uh, preceding it, I, I thought again, was it, it, so good. it really does hammer home that wavelength that there's something yeah. happening beneath the surface of suburbia yeah. that you're watching like, something. What crazy I find like and get a little specific with the sense here, but it's like the high, the mm-hmm. high constant dun, 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 yeah. dun, dun, dun. It just kind of gives you this what's around me, what's going on, <laughs> what's going on. And then the, the low synth behind it that's going just something's there <laughs> you're like it is there yeah it is there like <laughs> so it's it's got a perfect blend between its baseline and its melody it's just 
Oh, it's so good. Yeah, and then John obviously on top of this camera that. work that's making you feel the same thing. You right. know, it's just it's exactly. it's a formal work of genius yeah. when you're watching <laughs> the it. Guy is so fucking talented. Uh, and it's just it's so fascinating that after that everyone kind of took the plot. They were like, the plot is what's good about this movie. And I'm like, <laughs> no. are you fucking with me, guys? Come on. <laughs> Come on, peeps. Um uh, but yeah, I guess we'll get to the big climax on this and we'll kind sure. of wrap it up a little bit. But the uh, the big showdown between Laurie and Michael is, is is pretty insane where he throws Mike or he, he throws Laurie like down down the stairs after Laurie sees all the bodies. And all of a sudden the she's come face to face with the force that she's always sensed, mm-hmm. but didn't really know was there. And uh, that's why she's able to survive, because she actually was more aware of it, was there to see it. And she confronts it. She looks at it. Uh, and it almost kills her until Dr. Loomis, the only other person who knew it was there, came in and, you know, uh, hinders it, puts a stop to it. Yeah. You think that he, because he, he, Loomis comes in and shoots him. Lori, like I mean, Lori before that kills him like twice, right? Yeah, she, she stabs she, him a she, couple she, times. She stabs him in, with a fire poker through the eyeball or whatever, yeah. something like that, or in the neck maybe. Yeah, I think it's the neck. I think the eyeball shot doesn't come to the second movie. And then, and then she knives him uh, from the closet after that. Yeah. Uh, and that shot she's where, she's, where, where she's on the ground, completely broken down, having dealt with this. And then Michael very gracefully rises back up. One of the mm-hmm. most iconic shots in the movie. Because, again, that yeah. happens in the background. Because we're watching his body. And we've trained the whole movie to be like, that body's going to move or it's going to do something. Yeah. And uh, what's I mean, awesome. And that move has become so iconic that well, it's yeah, a cliche now. Yeah, that's what's so, funny is that's a cliche now. But I, I saw someone released online. And I might actually see if you can find I'll sure. maybe send you the link and you can throw the audio in. Yeah. But someone recorded a 1979 theater reaction to that scene. Oh, and they And they dope. matched it up with the video. And people are screaming. Oh, that's like, awesome. Like in the theater. When, they're just so into like, Well, yeah, cause, ah, because when beca- because they all thought he was dead. No one had right. seen that trailer trope yet so yeah, when right, right, so right, when right. he rises up in the background like there are multiple full out like full oh screens yeah. yeah like so good and if you can find that audio definitely throw it in right yeah, here because it's, it's awesome I think I, th- I might have even seen that, so I know I can find it. Yeah, sure. it's, it's awesome. I'll throw it in. Uh, and, like, that's the effect, visceral effect, instinctual effect that his filmmaking has on you while watching yeah. the scene. But then he shoots, Loomis comes in and shoots him multiple times, and then you really think he's done because he gets shot out of a window. Yeah. And you're like, no and one you could see survive. all this, the impact, so, like, the guy exactly. got shot Yeah, Loomis, Loomis <laughs> shoots the shit out of him. 
Uh, and then Loomis and Lori have kind of a brief interaction where they're like, was, was that the boogeyman? And she's yeah. like, and he's like, I, I believe it was. Cause yeah. that the, a- acknowledging that these are the two people who know that this is something inhuman, which I also like too. uh, the kids oh. kind of have this vibe too. And I feel like that was like, almost like that childhood, you know, wonder, like they kind of, be- they're still they- observational. They're still learning about the world. Right. right? So they so. believe in these scary monsters and all these things. And that kid has a great line where he's like, you can't kill the boogeyman. Yeah. Know, that whole thing. So it's yeah. almost like they foreshadow that a little bit. Exactly. Too, with the yeah. child. So that was really cool. I like that detail. Yeah. It's that, that is, and it, it's, it's cool that Lori gets confronted with, she just saw it, that yeah. she, now she, now she, she's like, that's the boogeyman. Like I believe in exactly. this childlike a nightmare terror and then again. talk about an amazing ending loomis goes over to check on michael's body michael's body is missing Gone. the huge iconic score comes in and then it's a and then it's a whole bunch of shots of the house of the neighborhood of all of these very mundane domestic spaces and all you can hear is michael's heavy breathing in all of them yeah he's everywhere he like, he's he's still out there he, he's, he's going to exist forever He's everywhere. He is just a a cosmic death evil angel and he's out there. And it's one of those very few movies where it's like true, true horror. Like he could be back and you don't mind it. Sometimes it's just like, oh, of course, (laughs) you know, but like with this one, you just believe in his power and you believe this kind of you just believe that you you can't kill the boogeyman. Exactly. That's just it. Exactly. He doesn't. He's he's not a kid was spot on. He's not a (laughs) he's not a human force. He is just a force of evil. Yeah. Um, And again, the way that it's all previously established in the filmmaking of the way that you investigate the frame and the way that his presence always feels there, both in the music, both in sort of like in the in the background uh, and uh, in the sides of the frames and the tracking shot. And, you know, to end on that bit where his breathing is just everywhere, even though you can't see him. Yeah, uh, it's just a horrifying image. This is like a pretty much a perfect movie. So I think, yeah. I think that will, I think, lead us into the reductive rating round. Down. Five. <laughs> also five. <laughs> yeah. I don't even think we need to go into uh, no, summaries it's, it's of why. It's one of those movies where I'm like, if you haven't seen it, Jesus Christ, watch that movie. An absolutely phenomenal And if film. you have, you just know what it is. And the fact it that it so. spawned 12 movies makes sense to me. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh yeah. But that being said, I think we'll jump right into Halloween 2, which uh, for me, I I almost really liked it. Yeah. I was, oh, I'm right. Yeah, I'm I, right there I, with you. I was. I was uh, very close to. I, I, I won't spoil. Well, because the story, yeah, but. I was going to say di- directed directed by Rick Rosenthal, who I don't know what involvement he had with Carpenter previously, but this almost was directed by Tommy Lee Wallace because they wanted Carpenter okay. to direct it. Who did the third one, right? Tommy yes, Lee Tommy Lee Wallace did the third one because yeah. he but he turned down doing the second one because John Carpenter I think turned down doing the second one and Tommy Lee was actually very close friends with John Carpenter. Oh, so um, if he's like Carpenter doesn't want to do it, maybe I don't want to do it. Yeah, well, because Tommy Lee is both John Carpenter's editor as well as mm. art director, so he did all of his sets okay. and stuff like that. Um, so Tommy Lee was like a very close collaborator with John Carpenter, and gotcha. when John Carpenter turned it down uh, because he said the Michael Laurie stories, uh, Michael Laurie story is over. Like, yeah. that was what he said. He said, I told the story I wanted to tell. With the uh, first one. With the first one. And then oh, they, that's interesting. And then they basically... Didn't he write a lot of the second he, one? He did, but uh, because the studio told him that they were going to make it with or without him. Oh, they basically, so he wanted to make sure that it, they at least don't butcher the damn Yeah, he thing. was like, okay, if, if they're going to make this mm, movie anyway, and, and they're going to make it with Michael and Lori, then Deborah and John, did they did write the film. So they wrote the second film. Yeah. Because um, that's why I appreciated the extra lore they put into it, because at first I'm like, was this just some like hacky whatever? But when it was John Carpenter, and maybe that's a little biased to say, but I did take it more seriously once I realized that John Carpenter was like a-okaying the story a little bit. Yeah. Here. 
So now it's kind of seems like it's more of a mixed bag. Where yeah, it's, like, it's, it's it's a little because John Carpenter did do it, and you can you can feel John Carpenter in it. But it, it's definitely oh for sure, it, especially it was, the first thirty minutes and the last thirty minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The last yeah the last bit and yeah the, the early stuff too. But it's it it is it was a movie that similar to Pieces was kind of cynically reconstructed. Sure. Um, that always sucks because because they wanted I feel to. Like they, we get that a lot with these sequels. They, they wanted to greenlight a movie because Halloween. They didn't expect it to do it as well as it did. Basically, it did a theatrical oh, run in 1979. They just thought it'd be like another trashy horror movie thing. Like yeah, yeah, and it and it did a 1979 because I think they got it ready in time for Halloween 1978. Yeah, but it didn't do amazing. But when it did its drive-in run and when it did its eventual theatrical expansion all through the following year yeah. in 1979, apparently it just killed. I'm, like my mom went to see it when she was in uh, wow. young and she. She was like it was at the time anyway uh besides maybe the exorcist it was like the scariest movie she'd ever seen like she couldn't believe that's how awesome frightening it was so yeah so like, like it definitely impacted that uh generation obviously they wanted to capitalize on that yeah that they saw that the reaction to it so they were like we need to make a second one but people like michael and people like jamie lee curtis yeah. so we need to have the minute when john carpenter didn't want to have the minute either way because he, he wanted to do that anthology. He thing, wanted right? to do an anthology. What, he, what style we eventually Halloween. get with the third one. Yes. Okay. So that was what he saw Halloween as. He saw it more as like a Twilight Zone style film where every filmmaker could come in and kind of do their own Halloween oriented story. His problem is he made Michael too goddamn iconic. He that made was him what too damn good. Like yep. it was it's one of those things where I get where Carpenter's coming from. Yeah. But at the same time, with the way that it ends, like Halloween ends and things like that, people are probably just like, oh, fuck yeah, I want to see another one of those. You know, like I, I yeah. get both sides on, in this case, which yeah. is well, odd because usually I'm with the director wholeheartedly, you know, yeah. I'm like don't make the sequel, you don't need it. <laughs> but with this one, the way he did it, it, it seems like a little more forgivable, I guess. Well, yeah, and, and it picks up as when we as we get into yeah, it, it. Right it, off it, the bat. Yeah, it, it picks up right where the other one left off. It includes footage from the original film. Yeah, and then the in, first five minutes. And then, and then what it does is it, it retcons Michael's cosmic disappearance which sucks a little bit a little yeah because yeah. because what it what it does is it it has uh that michael's still on the loose it's the same night they, michael's they, still yeah, out there they no make one him less of like uh, he's still kind of like this element of pure power and evil yeah. it's just now he's more of a physical element like a yes. purely physical because clearly he's been shot that's that has happened yeah he is walking around yeah. but he is a man that's still capable of being shot and stabbed 12 times and walking around and doing all the killing he's been doing the previous film. Yeah. So there is still a, an element of supernatural and something unworldly. Well, I, I will you know? say what helps for this film is that um, Dean Cundy, John Carpenter's regular cinematographer, still shot the film. And you can tell. And you can tell. Yes. It, it, it feels fantastic. it feels very much a piece of the original film in terms of the way that it's shot, which helps with a lot of the kills because a lot of the kills are absolutely amazing. Yes. That uh, the, that, uh, that that one where he Michael Myers slowly fades into the frame by walking out of like a like a black void. Pure darkness. Yeah, pure darkness voice. Yeah, and he comes in with the syringe with the temple. Ooh. And right after she sees the guy with the syringe like in the eyeball. Yeah. And like yeah, and so they show that temple kill. Like that that is a close up. Well that that, that was oh. that was what they did is they said they gotta up the body count and they gotta up sure. like they the, definitely did. Yeah. Well because this movie came out now that slashers were more of an established thing and you'll see that yeah, at, this was a few years after right? yeah this was eighty one. Yeah. So slashers had just started becoming a thing because i think friday the 13th was it was it 80 i think so i think it might have been and that was without jason though so like they wouldn't have had yeah. technically the whole iconic 
killer that's supernatural and yeah, like because yeah. basically what Jason is is just an exaggerated version of Michael Myers. That's yeah. really what he, what he is. So yeah. Yeah. Either way, slashers had started to become a little bit more into the consciousness, so people were like, we gotta make a more impressive slasher. And as the franchise goes on, you really see them having to be like, God, we gotta up the slasherness. <laughs> oh, like like, like, yeah. like like four and yeah. five and six and stuff like that, man. Like they, they are just like kill all the time. Is that, that kind yeah, of thing? well, because yeah. now Friday the Thirteenth and Nightmare on Elm Street are huge things at that point. Like their franchise, and they're kind of based on the kills. They're much less about like the the themes or or the just the tone or like that kind of thing. Exactly, it's more about let's sit down and watch a bunch of teenagers get killed. So Halloween so. Two feels like honestly one of the first what we would know be known as like a commercial slasher, where yeah. it's like we we really got to give the fans what they want. We got to give them the killer. We got to give like, them stay all, true to the story. Yeah, we got to give little. them all the kills. We got to give them uh, like a cool location, like they switch it here to Haddonfield Hospital. Yeah. Which is, I think, a neat touch that goes yeah. a little underexplored in the writing. They do a lot right in this movie, actually, I feel. But the yeah. idea of a hospital, because a hospital uh, is obviously wh- where Michael is more familiar with. Yeah. Because he spent 15 years uh, in- incarcerated in a mental facility. So. Right. So taking it to a hospital, which is kind of like Michael's home turf, means that his it makes sense that his deaths get a lot more creative because he knows all the different ways that he can do it. Like that one yeah. girl who he he puts into the, the hydrotherapy burning. tub yeah. and just like burns her flesh off. Oh and stuff my like god, that. it's crazy! It's 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 horrifying. Yeah. Uh, and the the one thing I do think is funny and it adds though. a bit to that supernatural feel too because he's putting his hand in it, in, yeah. in it, and nothing's happening to him. He's just like, yep, deal with it. Like yeah. it, it's it's. They, they, and I don't know if that was intentional, but to me it was, and it added a, a whole other element no, the, the, to him again. Th- this works best when it's a lot of the time when there's not a lot of people talking. Yes. And when it's yeah. Dean Cundy, f- f- like, photographing Michael Myers doing really interesting things. It's anytime you see Michael or Lori, you're like, it's, you're in it. Like, but Lori is unconscious for like 40 minutes of the movie, right. and that, you're like, Talk. And you could yeah, it's like you could have had Laurie do a few more things, except besides just the ending, you yeah. know, because she really it, it does just fall to the wayside. Besides the last thirty. Minutes. Well, and not to mention the biggest dramatic thing that this movie does is it introduces the lore that Laurie is Michael's long lost sister, sister. That she yeah. was she was adopted as a child. Uh, Which uh, I like. Do you like that or no? I wasn't crazy. Here's the thing. I think that it's not a bad idea at all. It kind of gives him motivation. I wasn't. But I, I guess that's, that's just that it. Get, I, I kind of like. Gets rid of your elemental feel of it. Which, exactly. So it, it, it makes his motivation but, just more literal and narrative. Sure. Which is when we were saying we really liked about the original. But again, I don't have an issue with that. I think if they it went that route. It doesn't ruin it for me. Well, because I think Rob Zombie did it awesome when he did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, like the when you get when you get to the end of the great. first Halloween and you get to Rob Zombie's Halloween two, the way that he actually emotionally investigates Michael actually makes it more interesting when you consider how Laurie and he does the Michael and Laurie connection and how they're yeah. related and how they come from the same blood, they come from the same family. Maybe yeah, they're both in his infected. Version, you even see them together, like you see them as children together. Well, yeah, and, and she's a baby. He's trying to take care of her because he knows that his household is so shit. Yeah, and, 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 well, yeah. and when you know, when you see the second one and Michael is starting to being haunted by like, uh, you know, by his, his mom yeah. and that the mom is seemingly sort of telling him what to do and like, then... I think it's to bring the family back together. Exactly, right? so, yeah. so that's what he's trying to do and then Michael ends up kind of like dying and basically changing bodies into Laurie and it's like this whole weird connection and especially when it gets into the psychosexual style that Rob Zombie does yeah, where yeah. you get into this bit where Laurie is starting to imagine 
thing, like killing her own friends in the same way that Michael killed people and stuff. Yeah. Either way, because it so subjectively and psychologically focuses on that relationship, that's cool. And I, I like that story in Rob Zombie's version. Yeah, but yeah, in this yeah. film, Lori never learns that. Like, Lori never actually really finds that out. So you don't see her interact with that information. Oh, I guess you're right. I never realized that. The, the way that There's it's never a, I don't think there is that scene where Loomis tells her. No. Because Loomis mentions it to somebody else, but I guess she no, doesn't. He, yeah, because they uh, someone tells Loomis, That's actually. That's a good point. I never even thought of that. Because the way that, that it's done in this story is there's one small flashback where a young Jamie Lee Curtis apparently, like, sees see goes and visits a young boy in a hospital and there's that flashback for five seconds it's literally like five seconds long and then there's an exposition dump where the uh state mental state facility tells dr loomis that they've like figured out why michael is doing this and it right. and that and it but it's solely there to deliver it to the audience and plot yeah like yeah, there's no the there, there's no emotional reckoning with loomis and laurie that would have made yeah. way more fucking sense. Yeah, like, well, because just, and then it would have made Lori's and Michael's confrontation mean a lot more. Like even if you had yeah, Lori, because for you it means something because you know the dynamic there. Exactly, but she doesn't. You, you still, yeah. So there's a, there, yeah. there's no scene where like a Lori is looking at Michael and being like, "That is, this is my brother. I don't want to kill him. Like I under, I almost that understand his it, pain." That would have like, jumped it up that notch. Exactly. Absolutely. So like that that's what this movie's missing is that. Uh, um, yeah, I agree and, with and you. It, there. It's possible I'm misremembering that there's a point in the dialogue maybe where someone does mention it but the, the actual remember the it, actual so. film doesn't reckon with it like there's no yeah there is there's no, no moment where it really feels like they're 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 questioning that, they're, it that, it, that it means something that these yeah. two are related it just feels like it feels a ploy. like they just did it so they're like there's there was his motivation this whole there time. you go you now got you have it. a reason and you're like well i didn't need a reason i liked his whole force of nature boogeyman thing so now that he has a reason that's so related to like love yeah that kind of does ruin it a little bit i mean the love for him is to kill her yeah but for him, that's probably love or what exactly. He so I, I have no problem with this choice of a narrative design. Again, I yeah. think I think that Rob Zombie actually did it well by humanizing Michael and humanizing Laurie, and then in his second one where he gets to go full out and he gets the to psychological. Like, yeah, he really yeah. gets to get into Laurie is traumatized by Michael, but also feels a strange connection to Michael, and then it it all builds to a meeting between both of them where Laurie yeah. is being psychologically controlled by the mom who is in Michael's head, yeah. and it's like this whole twisted family you know psychosexual thing going on that's really interesting because yeah. so obviously for michael it's like a freudian thing with his mom so like and especially with rob zombie's and zombie style sets it up from the very first movie yeah he sets it up in the first movie this one they decided to do it on the sequel which exactly. is kind of like one of those it feels kind of like oh you just added that exactly you know, like it wasn't intentional so that so that it kind of it doesn't ruin the first one because i just look at it as the first exactly. one and that's what it is but it, it, it just makes yeah. the second one feel a little bit more hollow sure um despite the fact that a little it, more studio d- despite the fact <laughs> that it looks great and and, and, <laughs> it, and it operates mostly as you would expect a slasher Those to operate first 30 minutes, it's just that tracking shot yeah that one one through the house oh my god it's so phenomenal. good exactly it's so good dean cundy's it's it's almost i think it might be my favorite like tracking thing including stuff from the first one it's yeah. just that second one proceeds to kind of just do typical shit and then yeah the one where it's like going through the houses and stuff where michael's picking up the weapons he got up from the ground and he's going through the neighborhood escaping yeah heading towards again that's one of the best tracking shots in the franchise so good uh it's so good that david gordon green literally stole Stole it it, for the new movie for real because it feels amazing yeah it's an amazing sequence again like halloween 2 well that's what that's why i got so weirded out at first because i was watching the movie and i was going this could be a fucking or like yeah. this could be really really good and then 
it's that that middle 30 minutes it's like yeah. the first 30 minutes is great you know the kid he comes out the like he's 15 and he had the mask on because he was just we'll talk about a weird ass moment but it's it is, crazy but it's, it's such great. an exploitation movie moment exactly. you wouldn't get that's anything why I else it, because it's like not only do they hit the fucking kid but they <laughs> the car explodes <laughs> and then the whole thing explodes so yeah the, you're the, like oh my god like dr loomis is so psychotic that he just basically ordered a police officer to like kill a 16 year old yeah. and like and explode him but the thing is if the the cop says when he gets out of the car he's like i didn't even see the kid oh. he says that oh yeah so the whole thing was loomis is gonna shoot him and then mm-hmm. the cops like don't shoot him and then the cop hits him and i thought the cop saw michael myers so he hit him <laughs> but instead he's just a completely negligent cop that oh isn't paying, paying attention to the road because he literally says i didn't see the see him or whatever that's so just awesome just like that adds to the comedy of it a little bit yeah there's there's a couple moments in the franchise that are really like that I'm, i i was trying to remember <laughs> which one it is because there's there's one in like uh halloween four which is the return okay. of michael myers because we'll get that's into when ha- michael myers comes like he comes back. Yeah, because well, we're, we're going to jump into it. three in a second here, yeah. but three is the anthology one, which didn't include Michael Myers, and all the fans got mad because didn't have Michael Myers in it. So the fourth one, they literally titled The Return of Michael Myers. Yeah, they called like, it we that. got it, guys. He's back. He's okay. back. <laughs> and yeah, I, I was honestly not liking the movie uh, mm. that much. There was there was a couple interesting elements it of it, of um, uh, sort of like the rippling effect that the history of Michael Myers has kind of had on the town, which I thought was neat. Kind of like cool. what Scream did in the 90s, where they kind of talk about how the town has absorbed this like mythical violence and yeah, kind of yeah. like everyone's aware of it. Everyone talks about it yeah. and it picks up with Michael Myers' uh, niece, who is the main character. And it builds this relationship between Michael Myers' niece and her, her sort of like adopted uh, older sister. Yeah, who kind of like babysits her a lot and takes care of her mm-hmm. and there's there and then it turns into a bit of a teen slasher a lot of the girls baby the older sister's friends are dying and you're like oh no and some of the deaths are cool but like that's kind of it yeah but then by the end of the film it revealed why they were building up the niece and older sister relationship so much because the older sister and the niece basically kind of like uh they have, they are evading michael and there's this amazing scene where michael is on top of the car while okay. they're driving it's like an action scene almost like this guy was like an action filmmaker so there's like a michael scene where he's like on top of the car being like i'm coming in <laughs> uh, and, and she's like and, and, and she's like oh. swerving trying to like get him off and like, <laughs> like no. that's crazy it's, like fucking it's a funny scene well and, and, and what's funny is she eventually like slams on the brakes and he flies off and then the police show up and the main cop dude pulls out a spaz 12 and semi autos him in the chest like 12 <laughs> times <laughs> Oh, that's and, it, great. and it's awesome is Michael Michael falls down he goes down and then the car- l- just before you continue did Carpenter have anything to do with anything past three that I don't know okay. I don't I don't know if he was in the writing process it doesn't okay. seem like it as much it's I think it's a different writer it might have been just point. like I'll produce it here's some money sure I it, own it exactly you know? I yeah, think that was yeah. basically it okay. but what's awesome is that the niece goes up to Michael's body because she's been told this whole time that this is her uncle and everyone makes fun of her because she's the niece of the crazy guy the local crazy guy yeah. and she finally is like oh my god I am like the kid of the crazy guy or whatever like I am really to him so she goes up and touches him because she's like this is my uncle like i'm related to you this is such a bizarre situation and they say don't touch him don't touch him and she touches him and then they bring her home and they're like dr loomis finally gets her safe because dr loomis is again telling everyone that michael's here no one's listening to him yeah. dr loomis is basically doing the same thing but what happens this is an amazing ending it bumped it up a whole star just the ending That's of this awesome. movie 
Because you, you were going with the two, right? Yeah, the, you bumped it you up. You hear a scream. The little girl comes to the top of the stairs. She's got a knife in her hand. It's all bloody. She's just killed her adopted older sister. And she she looks exactly like young Michael from the original Halloween, where she's a little like a little kid with a knife. Oh, and that's Dr. Sweet. Loomis points his gun at her. And the cops are like, what are you're gonna shoot a little kid? And Dr. Loomis is straight up like eyeing Fuck her this. to yeah. shoot her right That's in the head because, because he knows that it has transferred bodies. Yeah. Uh, and they he ends up not shooting her, but that's the end of the film. It's just like cut to credits. That scene is the end of now the film. Now is the little girl the one that leads into the fifth one the that fifth, everybody hates? The fifth one then okay. is that. Yeah. And the fifth one, it doesn't do much with that story. Like a movie that would have followed through on what that meant yeah. would be awesome. Because yeah. that's a little genius bit of writing. Yeah. But it doesn't reveal itself until the last, like, literally the the point from the car to the point to that scene is like the last 15 minutes of the movie okay. it's, it's excellent but like you know yeah so, so that one was a three for me um but there's all kinds of like funny moments that arise from that in this in this franchise uh mm. like the bit because it was kind of related to the bit where they kill the kid and then also in the second one in the second one uh, where he lights up on fire and stuff where there's just yeah. kind of absurd moments that kind of come out of this franchise and how it's had to like morph itself in all these different ways and like yeah. write in write itself in circles to retcon things and all that. There's even a bit of comedy at the very end of the second one where uh, he gets blinded and he just starts swinging blindly. Oh, see, I, I actually found that kind of scary. I did too, but I, I think it was the first time you see Michael not calculated. Like oh, you see right, him right, right, totally... Right. Like he's he's unhinged at that point. He's like, oh shit, I'm blind. Now he's just swinging around. It's like, it, it was it, almost it was a bit humorous, I guess, just to see him. It, it was actually like the first human human thing that's happened to him, I guess. I think right? that's it. Yeah, I think it was. I, I because saw someone a someone physically irritated there. him kind right. of deal. Yeah. Because before it's like I'm getting stabbed in the neck. Who cares? I'm getting shot six times in the torso. Whatever. But as soon as he's blinded, it's like an he's element of him out. actually yeah. is being ripped from him, and he's like, oh god, like. You know, so I thought that that was kind of interesting, but I agree with you. It has a mix of, you know, kind of a frightening tone, but I, I laughed a little bit at first. Uh, yeah. Well, cause just because it was weird to see him do a human thing. <laughs> yeah. There's also a bit where like a kid comes into the hospital at the very beginning with a razor blade in his mouth from the candy. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like there, yeah. there's, there's a couple interesting things that happen in Halloween too, but if we enter the reductive rating round on it, I think for me, it, it gets a solid three. I think, yeah. I think a solid three. I was, I, what in the early scenes of the movie, I was honestly leaning for like with the tracking Me shots too. and with a lot of the kills and with yep. how it picked up and it was really close. Actually, but but around the me. time that like Lori goes in unconscious and around the time that it really just does kind of become a series of these inept hospital people just like getting picked getting off killed. one by one. Meanwhile, we're getting exposition dumps about why this story, uh, what's happening that's different in this one. Yeah. Um, and then I, I do think that the final climax in the hospital where she does blind him and it's Dr. Loomis and Laurie again. Doing the oxygen tanks. And yeah, the, and, yeah, and kind of lighting him and on fire. And even Laurie's fighting And I think that the, that explosion uh, does work and then Michael walking out of it on fire is a really great image. Yeah, again, I think a lot of this... A, like that part was great because it's almost like there's two images I kind of got where it's like he's still fucking going after it. Even yeah. though he dies right away, you still have, he's like, he still had the strength to get out of that room and walk a little bit. Yeah. And then the other image is cool just because it looks like he's walking out of hell. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Well, it's, it's, like, it's like the same way he kind of walks out of darkness, but he's yeah. walking out of fire. Right. Uh, and then, exactly. and then you can tell John Carpenter wanted this part because he wanted to kill Michael. He kills Michael in the second yeah. one is basically what happens because That's he was like, I, 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 I really was like, liked. I was like, you're done. This is, this is it. I'm writing the end of Michael. You can tell that John Carpenter wanted to get to this point, this ending. Yeah. Uh, and because there's a great moment too, the very end of the film, which I think is awesome, which is that it's, uh, they take Laurie out of the hospital. Hilarious moment of purposely hilarious moment moment they take her out of the hospital and put her in an ambulance and i'm like where's she going yeah (laughs) like you're taking her to a different hospital like (laughs) uh it's just a really funny image to see them load her in an ambulance outside the hospital but then there's a a, there's a side a side shot of her face while she's in the back there and then there's a side shot of michael's face burning on the ground yeah cut to cut to black that's the end of the film it's again even even in death they're sort of like connecting like she's she's just had that uh, the worst night of her entire life and she's still thinking about michael's burning body um and it and again it visually connects she looks much like uh arnold did at the end of predator yeah just kind of like what the fuck did i just does yeah you're right like that 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 sort of like i guess we won (laughs) (laughs) yeah like i'm gonna have to live with this the rest of my life but i guess we got so it has a solid ending it's gorgeously filmed but i do think that a lot of the stuff that we really liked about that kind of like undercurrent abstract wavelength is missing in this which really does hinder the film especially when it tries to get into the dramatic element of the film which they just don't seem to really focus on that much it's mostly just written as an excuse for the literal plot that's happening it's like michael a bit more of the like the 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 medical people out of it and thrown like five more minutes of laurie and loomis talking about the relationship or even a a dream sequence even where it's even more even elaborate. even just Laurie and Michael interactions were like too, yeah. where where like you can tell just that both that both of them know what's happening yes. or something like that you know it, it just it does seem odd that Laurie never really finds out it's like well then why give that to us no like, it's it, it's solely for it's the audience just, yeah, yeah and that's that's that just sucks yeah. because if you if you give it to Laurie as well then i can see a reason for character yeah. development or or anything like that yeah. but because you just told us it's kind of like, oh, now we just have a reason for Michael. It's just that's kind of dumb. So yeah, it's it's weird. It's like one of the first times I've liked the the thought of it, but it's the way that they applied it that I didn't appreciate. Yeah, that, so, that's just it. Is you yeah. can you can you can tell that it wasn't what they didn't have their heart in it. Yeah, right. Exactly. John Carpenter's heart cool is idea, so much in that first one and all of yes. the filmmaking and what it all means. Yeah. and to just see the sort of it not be there in the second one yeah. really does harm that film, despite the fact that a lot of the production is very similar. And again, Dean Cundy's photography is so gorgeous and, yeah, and, and does again on the deaths on the, even the poetic stuff at the end with uh, Michael and Laurie, the cross shots. And, you know, so it's just like a lot of this works because Dean Cundy is just so invested in that world that he can mm. capture it with his camera, even if the writing isn't up to par. Yeah. So it's just like, you yeah. know, and, and the directing obviously. Yeah. I'm also going to give it a three. It, it's a high three. Like it was almost that four. Um, it's just, it's that 30 minutes in the middle mm. that just kind of lulls. And then that decision with the sister and then to not really add it to Lori, just kind of give it to us. That was weird. I did like how they expanded on showing his strength just as like the supernatural strong being like oh, there's yeah. a lot of sequences where he just like walks through doors that are oh, completely yeah. made of glass and he does <laughs> no effort This doing is also it. the first movie where they introduce that for some reason he doesn't kill babies because there's a bunch of babies in the hospital Oh you know what dude that's that's funny that you say that because 
I was going to bring that up in the new movie. No, yeah, it's, it was established in Halloween 2. I didn't two. even realize it was a reference to Halloween 2, yeah. actually, at the time. Because because he walks into the room where there's, like, three newly born babies all sitting there. And I Michael, was going to save that conversation for the new Halloween, but, I mean, do you have a theory? I have no fucking clue. Do you think, like, <laughs> it's like, maybe he, does, he doesn't see life there yet? Maybe he wants to take away life w- with meaning, and, like, a baby I is I just... I have no idea. I just feel I, like there should be a reason for that. You know what I mean? Like there, there's, there's got to be a reason that Carpenter decided. I guess it wasn't Carpenter, but well, maybe, maybe he wrote it in, so it's possible. Yeah. I don't know, but there's, there is something there because it just seems specific. It is it very, very, it's, it's very specific yeah. that he, he intentionally will see a baby and not kill it. Yeah. Uh, I feel good. I, good, I good, good guy, theory, Mikey. Good guy, Mikey. Yeah, we'll just, yeah, you know, bad. we'll say, you know, we'll say, we'll just say that Mikey, uh, you know, he he likes to get his rocks off, but he he has lines, he has you lines. know. Yeah, he's got he's got he's boundaries. A gentleman, in every <laughs> every once in a while, you know, he's just would, like he's like that's too easy. I, I can pick that up and like throw it like a football. Like yeah. I don't. Like, <laughs> I can't. He likes a challenge. Yeah, that's what it is. Just laying there. I can do that. I mean, whatever. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, she, he likes the chase. <laughs> He likes the chase. But speaking of which, we are going to move on from Halloween 2 here. We both gave that one a three, and we're going to move yeah. into the most, maybe, uh, the most bizarre Halloween for me outside and, of outside of Halloween 6, which and does... this one is, is mixed reviews. Like, people either love it or hate it, it seems. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, this one is bizarre because it doesn't include Michael. Halloween, At all. <laughs> Halloween 6 is bizarre because it includes Michael in a way that doesn't make any sense. It, it oh, almost really? it's completely inscrutable. Just to just let, talk about it for you a second because I do want to okay, hear why. Okay, they, they introduce a lore that Michael is like some sort of came from like some sort of epic. Which one is d- this, by the way? Is this Curse of Michael Myers? Yes. Is this the one with Paul Rudd? This is the one with Paul okay. Rudd, where it says starring and introducing Paul Rudd. Excellent. Yeah, and it's a '90s one. Slap it a base. And it's basically a '90s. <laughs> <laughs> it's a '90s teen movie, but. Uh, all of the stuff with Michael is like this sort of supernatural druid cult, like underground oh. stuff where like people are like, so like summoning the him? spirit of Michael oh. and like they're, they, they've taken like Michael's I see why baby you liked it then. and they want to like sacrifice babies to Michael and like the I, one thing that Michael uh, won't exactly. do. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And then, and then, it, and then it's kind of implied that Michael maybe was one of those babies and then oh, okay. there's there's this whole dude that sounds really interesting. Yeah, dude, it's like I don't remember that one at all. I might have not even seen that. Yeah, that it's sounds... it's like a baby. It's a Michael Myers baby murder druid cult movie. Holy shit! But like with a night with a bit of like a '90s hacker type thing. Like Paul Rudd is like a young like computer kid. Yeah, and he's like okay, he's all on the like internet it and should stuff. Should be like an easy four. So what was the three? Because I know you threed this. Oh, right. Beyond, so what, what? beyond how baffling what I explained to you is the rest it's of the movie boring. is kind of really poorly made. Oh, okay. like a lot of the kills are really boring. A lot of the actual okay. dialogue between characters is really bad. Just bad. It's, yeah. ju- it's just it, the most inscrutable, like <laughs> design and writing of it is the most entertaining part of it. Okay. Um, and so you were just able to milk that. Kind oh of. yeah. Like you were like, that is good shit right there. I wish they would elaborate a little bit. Oh yeah, more. and then there's someone else who like is like sexually attracted to Michael Myers in it. They're like, man, he's so <laughs> like untamed. doing a Charles Manson. He's thing. like he's like unhinged. Like there's this call show that people call into and t- they're obsessed. It's the first one where they introduce like people who are like I really like these ideas. Who, who are like into serial killers and stuff like yeah, that. So it's getting meta, which I kinda like. like yeah. As long as they do it well, 
But I guess, I mean, it doesn't but, for but, the most But it part, did but. come out in the mid-90s after all, like, it's a post-slasher kind of movie. Right, right. And so it, it's it's not it's not great, but I found it really enjoyable and was able enough to three it. But that was the most bizarre one besides Halloween 3, which is an anthology entry by Tommy Lee Wallace, who we've mentioned a couple times. Yeah. John Carpenter is both his co-editor and his, his, art, his art director. So um, he was back in this one, right? Like, yes. do you think that his he, heart was like, I'm going for this He one. was in this because John Carpenter said that this was his vision. He told Tommy that, this, original, that this was his vision. Yeah. He said, please, if you're going to make this movie, make it your own. Do something completely different. Um, well, I do like that he did do something different, but there are elements where there are definitely callbacks to the style of... of uh, exactly. Like the way that they show the suits. Exactly. Guys, yeah. That's Michael Myers written all over it. It's, exactly. They got behind the shoulder footage. You have yep. them breathing. I mean, it's not as heavy as Michael or anything, but you know, they're, they're unresponsive. They just do things. Yeah. So Cause Tommy Lee was familiar with there. the mood and the style. So it seems like he, he took a movie, he made his own movie in the Halloween universe in the, okay, in, yeah, in the yeah, Halloween yeah. style universe is basically what he did. Uh, and they brought in an sort of outside writer who apparently was a sci-fi novelist. Okay. Um, which I guess leads to the kind of the score and the vibe of the whole thing. Cause like, dude, the score, Oh, the score is great by, by Carpenter and, and the and difference Hall and between Horwath. them. It was like, they still have that synth feel. Like they still feel like yeah, they, well, they, 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 they said that this was 100% synth. It was the first time they ever did something entirely okay. in synth. Nice. Uh, and basically, and basically great. they wanted to do like Halloween, like he wanted to do like John Carpenter's Blade Runner basically is what he wanted to do. I got that vibe. Yeah. It was it's really very cool because like the opening credits where they showed the digital pumpkin instead oh, of yeah. the, the two pumpkins that we've had in the first two Halloween movies. Oh, right, right. And, and you get like the hum and the static of the TV and like the digital yeah. code and all of this. And, and then yeah. these high synths that are going off. And, and the vibe was cool too because I love scores and I noticed right away that they were going for a more sci-fi vibe. Yeah, it's very, it's very electronic like right from yeah. the start. Yeah, um, far less horror uh, in the score. Yeah. Well, and, and what's interesting too, is that this also does a kind of like otherworldly, like Celtic cult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They made, made the evil people Irish this time around. That's, yeah, cause, a, cause that's it, new. <laughs> yeah. A bunch of Irish witches uh, are behind this. And the basic story <laughs> is that these don't, like thing to put together. Yeah. It's, it's like great. these, the, the, these Celtic cultists, basically take over a giant corporation and uh what i do find interesting is the commentary on commercialism and stuff that's in here oh yeah because tommy lee was interested in the idea of how the fact that the original halloween that he worked on was turned into a commercial product and now they want to make franchises and toys and these things out of it so that's what he's kind of wrestling with this one is the idea of what does it mean to take a cosmic horror where someone milked like things that they are afraid of in their bones Mm -hmm. And to put that on the screen and for it to terrify people and then to make an industry out of that. <laughs> yeah. As well as the uh, manipulation it, of children. Oh, yeah. Like, because it just seems like these kids have been hypnotized into, like, by the jingle. At the by the way, that, if you can find the jingle, put the jingle in where it's yeah, like, jingle jam. Still Halloween, <laughs> Halloween, Halloween. But don't wear a mask while you listen to it. No. It might implode. <laughs> yeah, you might turn into a bunch of insects and snakes <laughs> yeah. and want to kill people. And happy, happy Halloween. almost time, kids. The clock is ticking. Be in front of your TV sets for the horathon, and remember the big giveaway at nine. Don't miss it, and don't forget to wear your masks. The clock is ticking. It's almost time. Happy, happy Halloween, Halloween, Halloween.
That was a great scene when it gets to the first mask kill. Oh yeah, and yeah. it's just like like a rattlesnake comes out of the kid's face. Like, yeah, it's just they go. Yeah, that's what's so interesting it. is that this is not a slasher. No, this is, not at all. This is a this this not takes that otherworldly quality. It has elements, I guess, with the suits, but like a little bit of that. It's not. But even then, it's it's just a really violent exploitation, like invasion of the body snatchers type right. thing, which is like that sort of horror sci-fi where like these androids are taking over people you know, and there's something kind of off kilter about the way they behave that kind yeah. of freaks you out. And yeah. it, it really merges well here with the fact that this is like a corporate thing that they are creating these androids, and you can tell that that's what Edgar Wright pulled from from like The World's End and stuff like that. Like yeah. these. These sort of like uh, these really creepy, inhuman androids did he, who go did around. Did he say this was an influence by any chance? Uh, I don't know that he did. He might have. I know he loves his classic. But, but, well, I might have. They, they might have both cited Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which I know oh, okay. uh, is. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. Is so they, they were both kind of running off of that. So that's what this is. This is like Invasion of the Body Snatchers meets Willy Wonka, like <laughs> yeah. inside the Halloween universe. <laughs> yeah, because that's what it is. The rest is like this very charismatic they, CEO. They're like, Come on the tour. <laughs> <laughs> it's this very charismatic CEO who owns this corporate company that yeah. makes Halloween masks that are that is a plot to kill all of the children on Halloween night. Uh, and yeah, some he, type he of like ritual all. sacrifice or something. Yeah, like that. yeah, yeah. Well, th- that's what's funny is that the plot is really silly and it yeah. doesn't make that much sense. Very but, over the top. But the, the mood sells it which is the weird oh, part of sure. this whole thing yeah, is, is that you you watch like this this you know the the willy wonka guy who's like he's the charismatic ceo of the company and he's like come on in kids come get the tour come come check out the masks like he's 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 too close with the children yeah that he's about to brutally murder, murder. basically <laughs> yeah um <laughs> all at mass <laughs> exactly and the mask designs are are awesome there was uh there was a, a note about the design that the guy who made them had, because Tommy Lee actually made the original Halloween mask for the first film. Okay. He, he made the mask. I heard mask, that that was a mask. Uh, William Shatner. Yeah, and then they just pa- spray painted it They spray it painted it and kind of like yeah, roughed it up, it up a little, little like that. Yeah, well, uh, so Tommy Lee hired a guy to make masks that he wanted to make, and what they said about the mask was that uh, every society and every time has had its masks that suit the mood of the society, from the masked ball to clowns to makeup. He's like, people want to act out a feeling inside themselves, whether it be angry, sad, happy, old. Sure. And he says that this was kind of a sad commentary on present day America that uh, horror masks are the best selling masks. Right. Um, is yeah. was kind of the idea they wanted to get at there, which get at that idea of sort of commercializing horror and Halloween. And I mean, even the cult leaders talk Our about intrigue of death and violence. Yeah. And, well, and even yeah. the cult leader is like, did you not think there's anything strange that you just get kids to like dress up in horrifying masks and like run door to door asking for candy? Like, is that not a weird ritual to you? Yeah. Like we have ritual sacrifice of children and we think that's fucking weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you really don't stop to consider it. You are like, yeah, that is kind of weird. weird. <laughs> it's definitely weird. You're like, is that, that's, that is a weird thing that people do on mass. And this movie does have that on its mind while delivering some really bizarre horror. There's like, there's like laser kills. That one lady who activates the mask or like tries to pull the mask open. and her mouth like and explodes. It's even, and it's not even, what, what I thought was the best detail of that to make it just weird and, and uneasy was that her mouth 
the whole mouth doesn't explode. Just the skin of her mouth explodes. Yeah, exactly. So you, see you see all the, the teeth muscle, and the gums, but the and, skin yeah. is still intact, and it, it, it looks it, like it, a blossoming like, flower. Yeah, it's like of peeled death. out. Yeah. yeah, it's just. Oh. And it's because she tried to fuck around with the mask and like open it up, and it like laser shot her or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think is what she, she tried she, to do. She took out. There was like a chip in the mask or something. Yeah, like the that. chip that actually kills the kids. Yeah, exactly. And she discovered it. And she's like, "Oh, what's this?" And then she finds out pretty, uh, pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty horrifically because yeah, because the, the larger story kind of follows just this uh this this daughter of a dude who was killed who i think worked for the corporation mm-hmm. and the, the the suits these androids and suits are hunting him down and they they do have a michael myers quality where there is something otherworldly in their android and they have like super strength the way and, that they move and stuff like that and yeah. that that one bit where they tear his fucking head, head off, off with their bare hands yeah it's crazy oh, horrifying like yeah. you almost see them like pull the spine out and like tear the flesh oh, yeah. and it's like and the, and, then, and the makeup's decent too and, it's and the, the wide shot where you see it like spurting out of his neck and before stuff they like just that. drop the body too like, exactly oh, yeah like that, there, there's a couple really gross gory moments in this uh yeah. and then and then the other Those suits horror. are i think the the scariest element of the the movie actually it's mm-hmm. almost like a it's like they have michael myers but now there's 10 of them like it, yeah. it's got this creepy vibe where it's like you see that suit get the fuck out yeah, of there. Yeah, so there there is that like literal feeling, but then I think I think this is one of the only other Halloweens that I've seen where I did feel that kind of undercurrent of something bigger, something larger, sure. something otherworldly because uh when we get to this film um where the the main character who's kind of helping this girl find out what happened to her dad in the town mm-hmm. and you get all these shots of them driving through the corporate towns where all the people are just watching them like everyone is a slave of the corporation that they work for basically yeah and they're and they're going through the towns there is something really off kilter and uneasy about showing these domestic spaces in that light because it's like all of a sudden all the domestic spaces of the original halloween are now infected by this force and the force is this corporation which is this otherworldly crazy cult which the plotting of doesn't really make sense but i felt it which is why when you get to the very end of this film which i think is amazing mm-hmm. where the ending is i think the strongest well yeah the when, when he's breaking his way out of the factory uh and they even include a clip where he's tied up and he, they're showing a horror movie marathon he's like enjoy the horror movie marathon because at the end of the horror movie marathon is when they're going to activate yeah. the the thing and he's like oh and makes to make sure like almost like he can't even get the corporation out of his own head to see he's like uh uh make sure to stick around after nine for the big giveaway or whatever it is and stuff like that and it's just so funny how it's ingested kind of like that corporate speak and made it given it that halloween vibe to make it really scary yeah and when they show the halloween playing the original halloween playing on the horror marathon and the tv in the background where he's like they've even corporatized john carpenter's original film in the halloween universe there was something i found very funny about that moment though was yeah. because I knew that people going into this movie were probably expecting Michael Myers. I'm talking about when it came out in the 80s or oh, whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I just imagined... That's the only bit of Michael Myers I in the movie. It's on the, the TV. I sitting down like 45 minutes in going, who the fuck is Michael Myers? And then they show that clip of them watching Michael Myers, and I'm like... Are you fucking kidding me? Like you just be like so mad. Like it's, it's almost like a tease. It's yeah, like, it's such it's an like, acknowledgement hey, remember of, that thing you yeah. probably bought your ticket for? It's not happening. It's yeah, a t- well, well, as you said, it's I a think, movie in this universe. I almost universe. think that if they didn't call this Halloween, it probably would have had a much better critical reception. But at the same time, not to do it, honestly. Yeah, but at the same time, like I do think that it exists in the Halloween universe. So it's like it's weird because but can like, it though? Because because the movie is in this movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? So can it technically be in the same universe when when we're well, watching the movie? Well, see, the way that I kind of saw it was you a know? little bit like what they do in Scream. 
Okay. Where they ha- they make it happened. So then they made a movie, movie. about that. Happening. A little bit like that. That's, I could I could buy that. Well, see, that was that was just kind of the vibe that I got from it, where they're watching uh, Halloween, but then they get the whole thing where they're running through this like nightmare sequence of the factory. Yeah. And like all the androids are working and they're dropping lasers on them and they're like killing everyone in this like really horror sci-fi way. Yeah. And then he gets to the end and he does basically kill everyone and he takes over he the like, cult. Like uh, he drops all the chips or whatever and then everything they all go just off. gets electu- yeah. electrocuted and yeah, that was a good little Yeah, part. and, and he, he does end up escaping and they end up androiding the girl and he has to fight the girl that he's basically fallen in love with over the course of the film. Right. Uh, and, you know, when the and bit, we find out that the, the bit where her can, arm is like off and it's still trying to like strangle him and stuff. It's yeah. really horrifying to watch. I, I forget. I didn't look up the actor's name, but I actually thought he was quite good in the film too. Uh, Tom Atkins is his name. Oh, really? I see. I, I didn't get a, a big vibe from him, honestly. No, no. I, I thought of he was just kind of that like uh, he just gave me that that standard 80s lead dude with a mustache. Like oh, it was okay. just like he, he didn't do much for me. Um, and his character I found to be not good. Like mm. I, I didn't find the character itself to be poorly written. Right. I found his character to be shitty. Like I just didn't oh. like him. Oh, you shouldn't like the guy. I couldn't I get see. on board with anything he was doing. I mean, for fuck's sakes, he's leaving his family at home, <laughs> and true. while he's doing that, he's banging a girl, <laughs> young girl. Yeah, he doesn't know the age of until he asks after he's had sex with her. <laughs> he literally. He's laying there naked with her. And he's just like, how like, old are you? Old are you <laughs> You're like, dude, flip the order, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, he's, a, he's a bit of a drunk. He's, he's a, a bit of a fuck of an up. Asshole. Yeah. But uh, I, I don't I don't think I don't think the, the actor was bad by any means. I thought he was mm. he was good. It's just I don't know. He didn't have he much didn't see much what they were doing me. with yeah, the character. It didn't yeah. just, it, he didn't do much for me. See, he 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 worked for me because I thought he was kind of like an everyman. Like I thought that he was like a okay, yeah. he was like a really boring dad who was having a midlife crisis and was like, I'm going to go on a mystery mission and I'm going to like solve a case or sure. I'm going to do this. And he yeah. wanted he wanted to do something like that. And I then, by no means and then, thought it was and then, poorly and then he gets anything, in really but. deep. And he's like, oh, I would have rather not known any of this and yeah. all of that. And that's what happens is when he gets to the end and he's like, he can save everyone. He knows what's wrong. He knows what's going to happen. But no one will believe him like Dr. Loomis style. Mm. And he basically. Uh, I feel like this whole thing was just so he could bang that girl. <laughs> well, no, I love the the ending bit where he comes up to the TV screen and he sees it playing. And he's like, stop it. Stop That's the best it, part. I love the ending. Stop it. And he's like screaming into the void and while while we while the jingle is playing, which is horrifying. And we, we already know what's gonna and happen. And we all we've already set up what's gonna happen, which is that all of these kids are gonna explode into a pile of like insects and guts and like all of this. Yeah. And and he's yelling stop it into a void because you can't stop that train, man. It's already won. Like it, it it's in everyone's house, it's infected everyone already. Like this 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 presence that you're raging against. It's on everyone's TV, man. It's already there. Yeah. So there's nothing you can do to stop it. And I thought that it's a really, really powerful way to end the film, uh, especially yeah. with just how much uh, Tommy Lee seemed invested in the commentary he was providing. This is just I think the al- strongest directing I've seen in, in probably a Halloween film other than John Carpenter's. Sure. Because like in terms of getting a message across and doing it mostly through style and filmmaking, because as you said, the writing is kind of subpar. And even the plotting is a little... 
kind of like it doesn't fully work. Yeah. The, what makes this work is how Tommy Lee makes it feel horrifying while you're watching it. Like to me, yeah. I felt this movie more than any um, that I watched uh, other than maybe Rob Zombie's second film, which is just the most psychological and in tune with character psychology, yeah. which works for me too. So this was like my favorite Halloween movie other than uh, the original and uh, Rob Zombie's second one. Mm, and okay. uh, I also liked it. Uh, we'll get into it because I like the door of David Gordon Green one too, but we'll enter the reductive rating round on this because we're going long. But the, uh, for the reductive rating round, for me, Halloween 3 is going to get uh, uh, for the four basically for all the nice. reasons that I basically said, I just, I think that Tommy Lee was really in tune with what John Carpenter was doing filmmaking wise. And he applied it to his own unique sort of sci-fi version of Halloween, which is really, really creepy in the way that he takes both invasion of the body snatchers and uses it in an interesting way. And he takes like the weird corporate horror vibe of Willy Wonka and uses it in his <laughs> own way. And again, the way he all applies it into a really interesting uh, uh, commentary on the uh, commodification and commercialism of horror itself, which yeah. is a really bizarre thing when you actually think about it, mm. uh, even though clearly we fucking love it. Yeah. We're, we're commercializing horror right now. Right now. Uh, but <laughs> We love that violence. But that I, I, I did think it, it was interesting to have me consider ideas and to get back into, I think maybe just after watching the second one, I was just really happy to see the the cosmic otherworldly horror feeling kind of come back. Yeah. Whether the writing was up to par, because I don't think this is as strong, obviously, as John Carpenter's original. And I don't yeah. think this is as strong even as, um, you know, uh, Rob Zombie's better written, I think, version of Halloween 2. Uh, but yeah, four for me. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give it the three for now. Mm. I think I, I want to rewatch it too. Mm -hmm. It is kind of bizarre to watch it after you've watching Halloween movies because yeah, it is because it is it is being like as a Halloween fan if you like Michael Myers you're not getting that and he's intentionally yeah. not doing that but at the same time it's, I really did laugh at that bar scene though because I just imagined the guy in the theater in the eighties like, just oh, like oh fuck where off. is Michael <laughs> there he is fuck you I'd be interested in reading original reviews of the film from when it came yeah. out maybe I wonder if one guy does mention that he's like I was happy for the four seconds I saw Michael in the bar but it's just so interesting because we specifically talk about that yeah he did make Michael iconic but we didn't necessarily like all of the ones because they have Michael we like the filmmaking yeah right absolutely it, so but people I think trick themselves into thinking it was that Michael they like Michael and, and they and, and they like Michael stabbing teenagers and, yeah, this and yeah, stuff yeah. like so this doesn't have any of that which right. is you know what definitely I understood it's mixed reaction absolutely yeah and the fact that it's just like it's kind of out of nowhere like it's like it's yeah. like now I'm gonna do my anthology after I've done two Halloween things that are established what Halloween is it just fucks with people's heads I think and they're just not right which is why they should have done what John that. Carpenter did. they should have made this Halloween too that's <laughs> dude I was literally gonna say that I was like if this was the second one I think people would have been more forgiving, at least a little. But to just have two Michael Myers movies and then do this and yeah. still call it Halloween, yeah. I think is kind of what people got thrown off by. And I understand that. Most of the time, I'm like, shut up, people. You don't know what you're talking about. This one, I I, I just more understand it. I don't agree with it. I think mm. I was able to watch this as just a film on its own and enjoy it. Mm -hmm. But I do get people's gripe with it in that sense. Yeah. Um, that being said, I thought it was really well directed. I loved that. The, the story I did like, for me, the corporate stuff mm -hmm. kind of hinders a Halloween film for me. I just oh, yeah. don't like being reminded of like businessmen while I'm <laughs> watching a horror movie. It can work. I, I mean, I guess it kind of works in stuff like 
a cure for wellness and things like that and some other movies we've we've watched but i don't know with this one it was a it was a mixed thing sometimes mm-hmm. when they were in the lab i wasn't feeling the horror or anything mm. and i know i'm supposed to more feel sci-fi there yeah because it, it is because it is sci-fi so you thought that the sci-fi and the horror didn't necessarily merge as well as you all hoped all the time yeah all the time i think sometimes it works and then sometimes i was just kind of like nah see the thing that got me through that was just that the tone the tone of like dread and like yeah. helplessness that, he is nails. constantly through the whole thing which is mm. especially with the ending of the original halloween is that's the exact same thing that you get just this yeah. this this never ending you know, infinite dread almost. Yeah. My, uh, and my favorite part of the whole movie was actually when he does do the, like, stop it. Like when he's screaming oh, yeah. into the phone and he breaks the fourth wall on the last. Yell. Oh, I didn't notice that. And, did he? And I, yeah, yeah. He looks right at the camera. At, at least that's what I remember. Cause I remember going, well, that, well, that, oh, well, that takes on some meta commentary too, right, because, because, because you're probably watching you, it through a screen, right? He's <laughs> telling you to like stop this commercialization. It feels yeah. like, or something like that. And I just like that, that touch. Um, the, but the lead guy, he was, I don't know. I, I, I just felt weird about him because thought he was kind of scummy and yeah. Weren't. Cause like the, the lead, he, he cheats on his wife. He does all these kind of shitty things. And the lead guy himself, I didn't find and he, so and, charismatic. And he's that a I doctor, right? Him. Like, like he's the one who finds the dad's body in the hospital yeah. and he's, and he's like, this is the weirdest thing that's happened in my town. I got to figure it out kind of deal. Yeah. And so he goes, goes on a hunt with the dude's daughter. Yeah. It just seems a little predatory. Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> it seems like it's just like oh. the eighties, man. Like, as soon as the girl, <laughs> there's a scene where the girl goes like, well, what's our plan? What do we do? And he right away without even skipping a beat, just like, is like, Oh, I guess we'll grab a hotel and, uh, you know, stay there so we can talk privately and I'll, and then continues the plan. I'm like, bullshit. You know exactly what you're doing, dude. Like, I don't know. He just came off as a scumbag. Well, see, but that, but that, but that happens right after they see the scenes of everyone watching them. Right. Like that's why they need to talk privately. And I know, (laughs) I know that that was why, but just the fact that it takes him no time to be like, Oh, we'll get a hotel room. You know, like that'll be fine. That'll be fine. There's nothing weird about like a young girl and an older man getting a hotel room. Like it almost felt like it was a part of it. Like his character wanted to have sex with her. So he goes out on this adventure. It it is a bizarre inclusion because like there's no other reason to have, like you don't need those two to hook up. Like there's no narrative reason for them to hook up. I was like, you just turned him into a scumbag for no reason. But um, yeah, man, go, go back to like the planets aligning and choosing that kids should be murdered or something. We don't (laughs) need a sex scene in the middle of this movie. It was just weird. And then he doesn't know her age beforehand and stuff. So he was just a little scummy to me, but overall I was very entertained and I was, uh, I enjoyed the, um, originality of it. Like I didn't, I didn't Mm. really, I haven't seen something like this where it's like the masks themselves are going to be the, uh, the killers and and you no, know and, gonna, and, there, and there's like a weird trigger it through commercialization i thought that was and there's a good, weird so. like ancient cube that they take from like stonehenge yeah that too <laughs> like it was very weird so i appreciated that i think maybe i'll get a little more out of it the second time but for yeah. now i'm gonna yeah, being, being prepared for what kind of movie it is i think does Helps. service this movie yeah, better that, I, I haven't watched it a second time but i could imagine watching it lot, again i feel like where i'm I just kind of be... like okay i feel like i need to revisit it but for now, I'm going to give it the three. It's a high three. All right. I'm going to give it the three. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for our sort of summation of the Halloween franchise. We did get a little bit of talk in, in all of them there, except for H2O and Resurrection, which <laughs> which the best ones, which maybe I'll just we'll probably reference as we get into the next one. So we'll do that. Uh, Starring Busta Rhymes. Woo! Weirdly enough, Busta Rhymes is, is like the, the best, best part. part. Of it? I yeah. couldn't believe it. Isn't he at least like, you motherfucker? Yeah, like, you he's motherfucker. like trying to beat up Michael or something at the end. So. Oh, yeah, dude. He, yeah. He, he, he kung fu kicks him and then yells like. Like he's like, Wee-haw! 
Oh, oh that's beautiful. Uh, and yeah. and Michael's like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> <laughs> doesn't he even do like a little like like tilt where there, Michael's there, kind of like reacting? To there, it? there there is a reaction shot of Michael. I don't think he does anything, but just the fact that there is a reaction shot and it's like pure it pure expressionless. You're kind of like it just implies it. Yeah. It implies that he's like thrown off. <laughs> That's funny. It's really hell. funny. Anyway, so that'll be it. We've contextualized the Halloween franchise for you now. Um, we're going to be moving into David Gordon Green's, uh, uh, I guess, a quasi-sequel to the original. Basically, his remake of Halloween 2, where 40 years later, we have come back. Uh, and he's retconned the rest of the franchise. So only the original uh Halloween counts in terms of narrative plotting. Yeah, which so, is, do you want to, uh, I guess, we'll, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. it. <laughs> All right, so we'll be Here's right back. trailer we'll, first. We'll be right back talking Halloween <laughs> 2018. Stick around. I just waited for this night. He's waited for me. I've waited for him. Get out! Go home! Get inside! You don't believe in the boogeyman? He's here! Michael! You should. Can you close the closet door? All right, we are talking Halloween 2018, directed by David Gordon Green, and (laughs) also written by David Gordon Green, his regular collaborator, comedian Danny McBride. Which is an odd name to come out for a Halloween movie, but it does work. And then also a dude named Jeff Fradley, who I believe this is his first screenplay. So uh, that, uh, Halloween 2018 is a, uh, I guess we already mentioned, it's a quasi-sequel to the John Carpenter's original Halloween coming up 40, exactly 40 years, uh, pretty much on the day. Before, Uh, I guess before we get into like plot and stuff, did you want to briefly discuss uh, this idea of making something an official sequel after we've already had an official sequel? Yeah, I do like I do like this because they did it well and it works. But this is but this this could start a trend that I have a very sour taste in my mouth about, which is like, oh, we didn't like the the last three that we did. So now, you know what? This one is the official sequel and I don't like that idea. Yeah, we're, we're so. going to, we're going to remake a sequel, which yeah. is like a weird thing to do. It's weird. And, and to say that this is now the official sequel, like Canon. It's sequel, like, yeah, yeah, like that. It, I, it works with this film. So I, I'm totally on board with it this time, Yeah, but we'll it see. feels like it could really <laughs> become something that I don't it, like. It, it, it definitely could, but I'm just so like that's not the way that I watch movies with the oh, idea sure, of franchises sure. and canon and all of this. Sure. Like that's just like reading, watching movies as either. like Wikipedia universe things where people are like, I need consistency from movie to movie to movie. But it is interesting because this movie does intentionally and like literally wipe out movies because yeah. people didn't like them. Right. Which is a thing that it feels like the movie is aware of that, which yeah. is which is kind of like. 
you know, do I want to see that regularly? Probably not. Like, would I want to see someone go back and remake the George Lucas prequels because someone, people don't like some of them? Yeah. I'm like, no, like, yeah, I don't, I'm not crazy about Attack of the Clones, but I like some of the stuff that George Lucas is doing in the prequels. Quite a lot of it, actually. Yeah. I don't like Attack of the Clones that much, but do I want to see like a, a kind of like more faithful remake that matches, matches the original real one? I yeah. just don't like that. No, that like thought. like like that just seems again it seems like the movie talking in corporate speak of franchise exactly. speak. So I don't I wouldn't want to see more of that and that is it and is And it starts it, to fuck up lore. Like you get your diehards, like I'm not much of a diehard of really anything, uh, yeah. but like like the diehards that love to talk about lore and maybe what they mean and the mythology and things like that kind of fucks it up for them. Cause it's like, Oh yeah. Which absolutely. one are we talking about? Are we talking about this timeline or this timeline? Yeah. See, <laughs> I've, I've just never watched anything that way. Yeah, so that, yeah. that, that part doesn't no, affect me like at all. I feel um, you. I just feel like it could snowball into something. That's what I. We mean. could we could see a yeah. lot of things. Well, especially because this movie was just so hugely successful. They're gonna yeah. be like, "Holy crap! We this could, could do, that's exactly we could we could do a sequel to uh, the original Nightmare on Elm Street and yeah, just no ignore one liked that one. Yeah, so let's we'll just, do the like. Okay, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but it, we don't know, so we'll keep that. We'll, we'll, we'll maybe put a pin we'll in maybe it. get back into that once we actually start discussing the film. <laughs> yeah, uh, which is uh, basically it takes a lot from uh, a lot of the different franchise films. It takes yeah. a little bit from Halloween which too. I appreciate it. It takes a little bit from Halloween four with kind of like how the sort of local community has registered. Uh, the event of what has happened with Michael Myers and Laurie. Yeah. Uh, and it takes, a, uh, I mean, it's basically, it's the same idea as H2O, which is Halloween 20, which is 20 years after the fact, which came out in 98. Right. Uh, which is that. And I guess this one's 40 years. And, and, and that one was the, the bringing back Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. So they literally do the same thing, which is 40 years later, we're bringing back Jamie Curtis. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to finish the Michael and Laurie story was kind of the idea. Uh, which which I appreciated because, uh, as I already mentioned in Halloween 2, I didn't actually think the Michael and Laurie stuff was that strong, and I kind of wish that yeah. it was. So this stuff is a little stronger, warm. but I think people will shit on b- the Rob Zombie ones, which do the Michael and Laurie stuff quite well and really well. I think they in do some it really cases. well. I think that's what he decided to focus on. That's yeah. I think where people people always say they're like, because we don't need a backstory for Michael Myers, and I understand that, but at the same time, did you just want him to recreate Carpenter's Halloween? Because I'd fit in. I like that he did something completely different and gave me a new take. Yeah, on I was it. gonna say actually the the weakest section of the two Rob Zombie movies for me is the sequence where he just does beat for beat the, the original remake. Halloween in his sure. own style, which I'd still think which still works for me because yeah, I be, still like it. because the deaths are crazy and Rob Zombie's style is unique enough and different enough that it does do something. It different. feels different. Yeah, it does feel different. But that to me was like the whole hour of. Uh, Halloween 2007 uh, that setting starts him it, up as setting like this, him up yeah. is my favorite part of that movie. Yeah. And then the way that it uses that in the second one and does that with Laurie and Michael simultaneously cutting between the two and the way that in that film, he, he kind of like drains that movie of any kind of like life and color. It's all like yeah. black blood. Uh, he wanted the violence to be more realistic. So it's a lot of like, really like he just like, Michael Octavia Spencer's in that movie for like 30 seconds and Michael Myers stabs her in like the back and the back of the neck like 12 times with his blade and then there's yeah. a huge wide shot of the carnage and you're just like oh my god like it's so brutal, it's brutal. and the crunching and the cracking and the slicing in the Rob Zombie universe is just 
He doesn't hold back with anything. No, and the guy that he got to play Michael Myers is really imposing and really huge. And I love and, that he has super long hair and he looks like a metalhead. Oh, yeah. I just love that aspect. Oh, yeah. He, he's like... He's the, so gritty and like a gross, <laughs> huge man. Like, oh, it's great. Exactly. So, uh, you know, we're coming as this uh, coming into this one as actually fans of the last attempt to reboot Halloween. Yeah. I think some people... Yeah want this film because they weren't fans and because they wanted to see a recreation of the style and so i I guess the second one back in the 80s was also mixed reviewed so yeah and it was a recreation of the style too so it's just it's interesting because i think that this is designed to be a stylistic return to form yep and that they're ignoring all of and even though what rob zombie did stylistically different is probably the best part of the stuff that he did yeah so Agreed. It's interesting. So we're coming into this as some people won't be as fans of the Rob Zombie films. Yeah. Um, but I also do appreciate that this one wanted to return to that cosmic isolation that we were talking about in the original John Carpenter film, or at least it wants to try to do that. Yeah. Um, it even opens the movie almost like Michael has been meditating for like 30 years. Like yeah. Rather and, than, and that he, he has like a, like a reaction to everyone around him. Like they're showing him the mask and all of the patients are like going crazy. And it's like cutting quickly through all these sort of like Dutch angle shots of Michael's sheer presence, just having an effect on the, the space. Yeah. And they really carve out the even space. Even the crazy people. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. They really carve out the space for everyone too, with the sort of like uh, the square tiles in the yeah. outside and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, it feels almost out of this world when you get into that courtyard. Like yeah. It's just so. It's such an odd thing to look at. Yeah. And then that's how the movie opens. Uh, and then we get the credit sequence where the the flattened pumpkin like comes back comes up. Back, and I would say great. I would say if there's any weak part of this movie for me, it is that how often it feels it has to acknowledge that previous movies fucked up and that it's doing it differently. Yeah. That was the only stuff that really strained on me because it is, it it has to be meta because scream happened and we never got into it on the previous discussion. Yeah. But scream Scream changed the game. Scream basically killed the slasher movie. And I do think I love the scream franchise. I love Wes Craven. He's one of my personal like Canon filmmakers. I love him. And I think the screen movies are great, but taking the slasher into kind of like this postmodern meta world really did fuck with anything that wanted to be a unironic slasher. Yeah. Um, and since then we've been really struggling with that and you could see it literally happen to the Halloween franchise with H2O and yep. with especially Halloween resurrection in 2002, which were the only two post scream Halloween films yep. and they operate like scream movies. They have like that kind of winking teens. Oh, you've seen a million slashers before, but also this is kind of just a, a normal one. So here you go. Yeah. Like those, that that's how those movies operate. They do the bare minimum of like, yeah, we know that we're self-aware, but we're not going to be self-aware enough to do anything with it. Yeah. Like we're not actually providing a commentary, which is what Wes Craven did. Wes Craven as a dude who helped popularize, you know, these kinds of movies in the seventies and eighties. And I mean, especially with Nightmare on Elm Street. So then he was like, let's mock them now. Let's, let's kind of play with that. He had interesting things to say about them. He knows what the audience was expecting and he knew how to, Uh, turn that on its head yeah exactly so Wes Craven had as a filmmaker who was part of popularizing these films had things to say about them and how they've been sort of accepted in the mainstream by audiences yeah a lot of other filmmakers weren't didn't have that on their minds and it made them feel really hollow and it did about those Halloween movies um and that this film does a tiny bit of that Mm -hmm. where there's every once in a while there's a joke or there's something in here where it has to be like oh yeah we're aware this is a Halloween movie and we know what the audience is what you came to see and you came to see this yeah um 
But I will say, because I just wanted to get that out front, because I, I honestly actually really love this movie. Yeah. And uh, I think I, it's an important thing to talk about first, though. For uh, sure. Because we, we have to bring it up, because I also think that that stuff, the, the way that it does work for me, is that this is a story about, foremost, Laurie's experience 40 years later. And what it does yeah. that's interesting is that it takes the original babysitter murders in the in the universe and it makes them in their own way another isolating experience for Lori because we talked about that kind of cosmic isolation of the original film that had Lori and Michael on their own wavelengths mm. this film is like what if that experience and that trauma itself was an isolating experience and that nobody really everyone's telling her to get over it and every everybody yeah. is like and the way that she's almost abused her own daughter and been estranged from her because of it so basically Lori has just found herself even more alone yeah because of the trauma that she's she's had on her and it's trickled down to all the generations that have preceded her well yeah and that's what's so interesting about this film and what i think is so kind of uniquely perverse about it that not a lot of people are talking about mm. is that Lori fucking wants it to come back. Yep. Because, because yeah. one, if, if Michael comes I back, I prayed for him to come back. Every exactly. Night so and the, that, that joke where the, the goods just like, what a stupid yeah, thing, to pray for. thing to pray for. Thing to pray for. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, yeah, because not only spot is it, on, is brother. it a funny line, uh, but also it is spot on and yeah. that, because that is what she wanted. And, and that's what framed what kind of changed the entire movie for me. When I got to that bit where it was Lori being like, I want Michael I to come to me to because die. almost like she would not be, it's almost like she doesn't want to be alone. Like Michael would be having Michael back would make her less lonely. Yeah. And if not that, when it's we almost get, like give her a reason. Like and then like, what the end of the film suggests uh, and I, well, we won't talk spoilers yet, but we will after yeah. what the end of the film suggests is that she wants more people to get hurt so that they're, she's not alone, that they're hurt with her so that they understand why she's gone through all the and shit she's gone through. So she's through. almost making she either way she's curing her loneliness by Michael getting out. Yeah. And that's, and the way that they really focus on that in this film and the way that that almost interacts with the reference callbacks because it's almost like Laurie is still living in the 1979 movie yeah. and everybody else has moved past it. Everyone's like, yeah, that's way gone. Like nobody fucking cares about that anymore. Yeah, so 40 she, years ago. So she's, she wants to almost bring everyone back and have them live in that movie with her now. Yeah. And that's what kind of happens so over the course of they can understand, even though it's a completely selfish thing to think exactly. and, and want. Exactly. Yeah. Like, and they, and the way that Jamie, like, I'm not insane. And in order to show you, I will put you in the most dangerous situation. I possible. will make all of you insane and I will brutalize a lot of the people, you know, so yeah. that exactly. So, and, and that's what she desires ultimately in this film, yep. which is what's a really interesting turn because she gets pumped. Oh when yeah. She gets her like her chance. And once again, no spoilers here, like not yeah. saying what's happening, but obviously Michael gets out. I mean, yep. we all know that. Yeah. And, uh, she seems excited. She oh, yeah. seems like I've like waited for him, scared, but he's she's waited for me like, or whatever. Yeah. I've trained for this baby. Let's do this. Thing. I've, I've used the last 40 years of my life in hopes that this would happen basically. Yeah, exactly. Um, and even the way, trained my daughter <laughs> and, and, a, and a huge reason that this works is because that's not like the most like well-written thing in the world. Like, like people can come up with that premise, Sure. but Jamie Lee Curtis really does solidly act your way through that. She's like the she, best part of this movie. Yeah. She's so good and yeah. the and the way that she sort of has internalized that pain and the way that you you see it get externalized over the course of the film yeah. is really fascinating to watch and then again to see this film operate in that old school style that we that we know and we like does interact with her arc in the film 
Um, but here's where we'll kind of break down into the actual premise of the film, I guess, which is um, that Lori, uh, she spent 40 years training, waiting for Michael to get out, and uh, she's basically estranged from her daughter because she raised her daughter from a young age to... Uh, Just kill. To, to recognize the horrors of the world, to recognize yeah. that... To, to basically tell her and But not beat. the way a, a hard-hitting dad does. She's training her to use every weapon possible, trap doors in the house. She's training her as a guerrilla army member, basically. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So that she's prepared for the cosmic evil that she's interacted with because she knows that it's not gone. I mean, the ending of the original John Carpenter film heavily suggests that it's not going away. Yeah. That it's always going to be there. It's always going to come back. back So that, that, that seeps into Lori's psychology and she starts training her daughter played by judy greer uh as as uh you know an, who an always plays daughter. a mom always yeah <laughs> i feel like every movie i see her she's judy playing Gre- that wholehearted mom yeah judy greer is she's seems to get underserved a lot in yeah. those roles but in here at least they do have an interaction with her not only as a mom but also as a daughter of laurie yeah uh which is where the interaction gets interesting because she hates her mom because she was taken away by child services because laurie uh was training her to be an army member a and killer. prepare and a killer yeah uh and not sending her to school and stuff so yeah. Um, Which I can imagine would not only train your your uh, kid to, to do all these violent things, but just totally desensitize them to violence as well. Exactly. So the implication is that happened 20 years before this movie. And now there's her daughter, Judy Greer, who has her own daughter, um, who is uh, a teenager in, in, high, in high school. And the teen, the teen element of this is pretty sort of like teen modern teen movie kind of thing yeah, yeah. Um, you know where you get uh, but surprisingly a lot of it is not bad no like the, it's nothing new but it's like the characters themselves are pretty entertaining and the, the actors aren't enough. bad and Danny McBride clearly knows how to you know he he's worked on a lot of comedy shows where he's written kid characters you could so definitely like, tell that the teenagers had a lot of comedic direction because yeah. now this is something that I've discovered it, just in the past couple it did, years. It did liven a lot of those scenes up for me though, which yeah. is why I was not displeased with it Yeah, because it does get, get in a bit of an, an effect on the tone when, when like there's a scene, a horror scene happening and then a character's being funny. But in, in, in the scenes yeah. where it's just the teens, the comedy works pretty yeah. much and all also, the time. I, what I want to say too, cause a lot of people, I heard that as one of the number one complaints really was that the comedy, the comedy was taking away from the horror. Mm. And I thought it was going to when I, cause th- that usually does like if there's comedy like that, it yeah. usually does hinder the horror for me. Um, but what I will say is that there was only one moment where I thought the comedy might've been kind of not well placed. And even then I still thought it was funny. So it was kind of like, <laughs> I don't like it, but it did make me laugh. Was it, it works? Was it was it was it the little boy? It's in the, the little boy. Scene? It's like nope or yep. whatever, and then yep. like that that was funny, and and that reaction actually so- seemed kind of genuine, and, and it didn't necessarily just play for comedy. Right. I felt like that kid probably would have reacted that way. Right, but it it, but, it, d- it definitely was a comedy filmmaker, not a horror filmmaker, yeah, right? Right, and you do feel that a little bit. Right, but then there are moments where the comedy, like the kid, the the uh, the guy with the curly hair, and yeah. who's the the comedic friend, he's yeah. like obviously the funny one. Uh, when he has this moment with Michael and he's making a bunch of jokes because he's like drunk and he obviously doesn't know what the fuck is going on. That's a scary ass scene. And it makes sense that he's doing that comedy. Yeah. The comedy doesn't seem out of place there. It seems completely for his character. That makes total sense that he would be like, yo, man, what are you doing? What are you? Why are you standing there? Why are you doing that? Like yeah. that makes sense because 
that's his personality. Yeah, and, and it's, it's and not it, like it's out of the out of place just to throw in. No, a clip. exactly, and that's actually one of my favorite so, horror sequences in the film because the too. use of the motion sensor there. Again, Very we should talk a little bit about David Gordon Green, who is a really bizarre indie filmmaker oh, yeah. who got his start kind of making like these uh, these really serious kind of prestige indies and then ev- yeah. eventually kind of moved into comedy and then kind of eventually moved into making kind of indie comedies like dramedies and that kind of stuff yeah like um, joe and uh yeah things like that yeah, yeah prince avalanche yeah, and stuff prince like avalanche. that with paul rudd yeah um but this is a surprisingly well directed horror film for the mm. horror sequences yeah i was pretty blown away by a first-time horror filmmaker doing a scene like that motion sensor sequence which has a really great sense of timing uh and again the the waves that he also steals the widescreen images and the tracking shots you know he's mostly stealing them from john carpenter's you know uh sense of style yeah but a lot of them work because it's just it's it's a good style like yeah, uh, like he expands <laughs> on it too like the mm-hmm. one sequence i'm pretty sure it's just one shot i mean there might be some digital stitching but other, one, it's not noticeable the, the one and, the halloween 2 tracking shot yeah yeah that that's in this one and yeah it, it seems like i think it's just one shot i don't think they cut away it goes into a house he grabs a knife yeah, he, he kills he, somebody he, go, he goes he to the a baby he goes to another okay hold on this might be the spoiler section <laughs> Oh, okay. So let's do well, it. Well, the person that he okay, we'll do spoiler, but just to let you know, well, no, I'm the just person say, he killed was a meetingless. Yeah, person, it doesn't so it doesn't matter it, at it, all. It, but yeah. what we're gonna say is, I think from here on out, Jamie and I both really enjoyed it. Yeah. But I think from and here it's on worth out, going to see, we're gonna talk about individual sequences that happen not at the beginning of the film, sometimes in the middle and the end of the film. Yeah, I'm getting too excited now. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, I think we're in the, we're in the spot where we're gonna start talking about that stuff. Right. But I'm just gonna let everyone know for anyone who doesn't want, because I mean, like, I really don't think that you can really spoil this movie. I think not this movie. Too much, yeah. I I think this movie is going to work for you regardless. And the only thing that may be a spoiler is the very, very end. Yeah. yeah um, really. But we're going to start talking about specific individual scenes and kills and stuff. So, so if you don't, if you want to go in completely blind, you can peace out. But yeah. you have been warned. everyone else, everyone else, come on and stick around. <laughs> but yes, we should talk about this tracking shot because it's because so it starts good. with him going into the garage in yep. the back or the shed. He grabs a hammer. hammer. He moves into the house. He finds a woman making a sandwich. Reminiscent of Halloween too. Exactly. Yeah. And he beats her over the head with the hammer slightly off screen, picks up the knife. The tracking shot follows him as her beaten head is it's sitting on the table there. there. Yeah. This is where he walks by the baby. Yep. And again, and he, we get the acknowledgement. he's not going to kill a baby. Well, he almost doesn't acknowledge it. He almost just like keeps walking. Like there's, yeah. a, there's maybe like a, a split second it's like pause. like a second that he yeah. looks at it and then he goes... And um, then he, but yeah, the way we already had our theories on that. So, we won't but the way that it, it starts outside the house, it goes behind, comes through the back, comes out the front of the house yes. and then he's walking around the street and you get all these shots of the kids doing trick or treating. And obviously no one's aware of what's happening. Cause it's I, Halloween. Again, this is, this is gets back to that John Carpenter, like unbearable tracking sequence and these widescreen images where you, yep. you know, as an audience member that there's something here, there's something dark, it's cosmic. And the way that it constantly holds him in the frame until suddenly it does doesn't is that's the best part that, that's that's the new part that they add in this so one. scary because the track this tracking shot loses michael i think twice yeah where the camera just loses him and you're like oh my god where the fuck is he is he about to do something yeah where is he yeah. because the camera goes around his head and it focuses on these two people for like a second and you're like oh my god is he gonna kill those people and he doesn't he goes into the house but you're just like your your you brain no yeah. again this movie is riffing off of that carpenter thing where he got you to investigate be an active participant in the filmmaking where yeah. you're watching this. you're not just watching you almost feel like you want to go look out michael that guy over there 
go to the left. But I, and, and then again, some of the staging and the use of lighting and reflections and yeah. shadows is really excellent. Cause the Especially set, when the, they go deeper like into the movie with the reds and things like yeah, that. Yeah, well, kind of calling back to the 70s lighting and exactly. all that. Exactly. And the, the second time the tracking shot loses him when he's walking along the outside of the house and the camera stays. And you see to his shadow walking along the side of the one house. And then yeah. he comes in the back, stabs the girl right through the neck, and you see it right into the camera. Like yeah. it's just, it's, it's gory. And, and this is an appropriately brutal uh, slasher film. Yeah. Um, which, you know, to see a mainstream horror film do some of the kills that this one does in it's, a theater. It's pure exploitation. Again, I can't, t- I can't tell you how bored I am a lot of the time of seeing just the never ending suspense sequences where a little girl comes in and says, boo. And yeah. like that's that's the end of that. Like it was so And then good. they find the body just kind of like with a scary face or some shit. Yeah, it's been like, it's like just, demonized or something yeah, or you whatever. know whatever the fuck. <laughs> yeah. To see Conjuring straight six. up straight up Michael Myers stomp on a dude's face like yeah. a pumpkin. Oh. And you see the uh, everything everything there's you, not you, a you, moment you they see look the full from. penetration of it you you it even cuts back to it because it's like oh you thought you were cut away from it no yeah. we're going back look to what it he did yeah. yeah look at it and it, it's all mushy and like chunky yeah and i was like it doesn't look like a human head anymore like no and, and, and he just and he does it to the chunks. psychiatrist who has a really interesting arc in this film where the psychiatrist wants uh, it, it, it's kind of like the full extension of the Dr. Loomis character where he is full out psychotically obsessed with Michael Myers. To the point where he almost wants to become Michael. He to, wants to feel what he feels. He wants to feel. He wants to understand him so much that he wants to become him for a little while to see if he can gather that information, it seems exactly. like. Exactly. He, he kills. <laughs> At first, I will say this. At first, I thought the movie, I heard that there was like some twist in the movie. And I don't think there really was, but uh, the at that part, I thought the movie was gonna. He's do this, he's Michael for the yeah, rest of the movie. And I thought it was gonna play this dumb thing where it was like anyone could be Michael Myers. <laughs> you just have to put <laughs> on the quite. mask, you yep. know that kind of thing. And I'm glad that it didn't do that because then it just became this moment of uh, character moment for him. Which yeah, I really liked. where he put so, the mask on for like two yeah, seconds. Just and for a just, second, though, I thought it was gonna be like. Oh god! <laughs> that, yeah, that would have been bad. That would have been weird bad. thing. I would have been like, oh no. No, but it was good. I thought it was interesting that they they had him kill the officer and like be so obsessed with Michael. And then when he's like, he was like, Michael, say something. Michael, say something. Like, yeah. like don't like he don't leave me here. Like in anticipation, I've been in anticipation for fifteen years right. to find out the meaning of all of this. Right, which, which is which is a great way for uh, Laurie's granddaughter. I can't remember her name, but uh, she uses his obsession to get out of the car initially. Yes, because he's like he did talk to me. He Allison. did say something Allison to me. Allison is her name. Yeah, yeah, she's like, he did say something to me, and you want to know what he said, right? Like, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, I mean, you could argue that who would believe her? Like, obviously, exactly. you know, it's a little, it's a little corny, but... But I feel like that guy's character is so obsessed that he would kind of just mask that. Yeah, he, like 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 his mind wasn't working right at that right, point he's in like, the story. You know what? Okay, he, I just he, need an he, answer. He literally just killed like a deputy. Well, yeah. <laughs> so his his mind is not it's racing and it's not working the way it normally does. Yeah. So I feel like he was just kind of so obsessed that he believed it. So yeah, that doesn't necessarily uh, not work for me. I thought well, it was yeah, really and then well and done. then the fact that he's so desperate for some sort of meaning for all of this. Yeah, and then the he result needs is meaning. he can't just. 
like think that it's just evil. He can't have that. He wants there to be like a scientific reason, it seems. Right, which is like what they did in Halloween 2 by giving him a purpose. Where right. like, oh, he's killing his so sister. That's what he's so doing. So they're taking that away. Exactly. Time, so they're yeah. being like, you know, you don't get a meeting. He's just going to stomp your head and not say anything. Goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, a lot of the deaths which in here frightening. are pretty pretty brutal the yeah. one where he puts the kid uh they do a callback to the one where he stabs the kid through the uh the wall and he oh, hangs yeah. him on the wall and you just find him there like they, yeah. they don't show the kill they just what i like what they did was they show the kid like making the decision that he's gonna fight michael with the knife and instead of showing you the scene where he fights him and inevitably fails because of course he does they just they show just you the show direct result yeah. so it's just like it was one of those moments where he grabs the knife and you go Dude, don't. You're going to die. Oh, you're dead. Yeah. And then, it cuts, and then it cuts back and he's already dead. And you're kind of just like, yeah, told you, bro. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I liked the direction there. I thought that he made some good decisions on showing certain deaths and then other deaths. They were kind of like he'd show the initial violence, but then the aftermath would be the real horror. Oh you know, yeah, like, like the kid like, on the fence. But yeah, the kid that he spikes on the right. fence through exactly. his through the bottom of his head and stuff at first like that. You're like, oh, he's just stabbing him in the back. We've seen this kill before, and not yeah. like you need an innovative kill because the movie tonally just works really well. But yeah, it's, to, it, to it, throw it, that it's still, in there, it's still very simple, which is yeah, good. Yeah, like it's it, it, it's interesting. There aren't crazy elaborate kills, honestly. No, like there, it, most of it's just stabbing, just and and brutal violence. It's no, the, just the, the, so brutal that it's like over the top well yeah and, and, and it's compounded before. by the fact that we know all of this brutality is happening because laurie wanted it to happen almost yeah that's like too. that like the, the way that it, it it cuts between just pure brutal simple brutalization and then cutting back to laurie who we know basically uh, not foretold this to the point where she desired it to happen yeah it makes it even more like icky it yeah. makes it even more like, oh, all of this suffering is 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 happening for this reason, basically. So and that she can have uh, closure, basically. Yeah, and to not be isolated anymore. Because that's that's the big thing, is this very early on spends a lot of time setting up that Lori is isolated from her family. Yeah. The only person she that really empathizes herself, yeah. with her is the granddaughter, yeah. who doesn't who never really saw all of this happen. She just knows that something's wrong. So she's she, trying to understand both sides because she still seems to be like loving to her mother and stuff. It's yeah. not one of those things where she's like, fuck you, mom. Or anything. But, but he's like, why do we need to keep this old lady in isolation? Like right. she seems sad. We shouldn't exactly. like, no one should really live it's still like our this. Grandma. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, so yeah. And it, and it sets up this dynamic between the three, the three kids and all of the people that they know. Cause it's a lot of the, the girls, friends, the younger friends who end up mostly biting the bullet in the yeah. film eventually. Um, as it usually happens. <laughs> yeah. It's always the, uh, the people by the wayside. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, there's kind of just a series of Michael, uh, I guess we didn't talk about the journalists in this. Oh yeah. They're briefly, they kind of like have that, they kind of have a meta thing where it's like, they're obsessed with, you know, Michael Myers and, uh, well, again, they also want to find meaning, right? They're like, yeah. Michael's being transferred. No one's ever going to talk to him. He hasn't said anything yet. We need to, we need some kind of closure on this situation. Mm-hmm. Like, like everyone seems desperate for, you know, a, a kind of closure that the John Carpenter original film intentionally didn't give. Yeah. And w- what's kind of interesting about this film is that I will say, cause we're in the spoiler section, this film does provide closure, but it, pro- yeah. it, it provides a really, really kind of almost like a regretful kind of closure, Yeah, which we haven't talked about it yet, but we should talk a little bit about the score. John Carpenter's sure. new score for this, which I think is really good. I mean, John he Carpenter basically took the original score and put 
distorted amps in yeah. everything and made it seem like everything has has piled up until yeah. this point. So it's like all the things that you were used to that that nice dun 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 dun. dun now it's dun 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 dun. Like it's like really in your face and powerful. Yeah, and there's a, there's a brief new score that he writes for this where it has the big the electric guitar. Yeah, yeah. the big electric guitar when people right. are running and stuff like that. But the guitar's the, making a comeback in scores, by the way. Here we I'm go. Loving it. <laughs> here we go. Yeah, Mandy, 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 baby. Yeah, we're getting some electric guitars back. Loving in, it in in scores. 80s had it all over the place and now they're finally doing it again but there's a lot of really interesting developments he makes on his score here and one of the most interesting talking about it when we get to the ending here because the ending is kind of like a, a really kind of bizarre sequence where Lori has who has outfitted her house gorilla style to to kind of deal with michael to trap michael she wanted michael to come for her so that she could um, uh, fight him and overcome him. So she's got like cameras. She's got crazy lights everywhere. She's got uh, uh, automatic door closers so that she can look every room on every room. So she can check the room out and be like, he's not in here. Bam, lock it. Uh, All that kinds of stuff. And you know, it's, it's, it's this very elongated suspense sequence where uh, her daughter, Judy Greer, is hiding in the basement uh, that she's outfitted with food and weapons. And I love the bit that the weapon has her childhood name, like, scratched into it and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, and obviously all of the family can't believe that this is happening again. They're like, oh, my God, I never, I never believed that we could see this again, which, again comes in with the style because we're seeing a style that's so old and it's almost like we never thought we'd see this again kind of deal. Uh, No one seemed prepared for it, but this really abstract sequence almost of her running through the different houses and there's like the rooms and the mannequins and trying to hunt Michael down. And there's this very regretful uh, almost rendition of the song. And I was listening to it and I couldn't figure out like why. And then uh, they trick Michael kick him into the basement basically both uh judy greer gets a shot at him uh uh Lori gets a shot jamie lee curtis gets a shot at him and then the granddaughter even gets a slice at him, yeah, and, they, him. and they put him down they lock him in and they light it on fire like the end of halloween 2 style yeah and then michael's standing there in the burning all three girls are kind of like looking at him and then and then it made sense because there's this really regretful look of almost and it's re- almost a sad composition of the score while the entire house is burning the little dollhouse version of her original house is burning yeah and it's like there is closure here like laurie's got it she's she burning had to Michael burn everything to a crisp in order to get there. and kill all of her daughter's friends yeah. kill her daughter's husband yeah. like she and and basically traumatize her two children yeah like basically that's what she does and the movie i kind of said in my review when i saw it at tiff that it, it, it carries with it the suggestion that like a shared pain is like the tightest bond mm. and that there's these yeah. three generational uh, women all holding on to each other covered in blood though and the youngest one is holding the knife that she stabbed Michael with yeah. the same way that young Michael did the same way that in Halloween 4 the young Michael's niece did yeah. and you're kind of like there's no implication that she's gonna like become Michael like no. how those have happened but it's just like this violence Creates was violence wrought on that, yeah there was a there was a dream of death that Laurie had and Weirdly enough, she's not alone. She has got closure. She's no longer isolated. Yeah. 
But it's just now they're going to have to deal with all the consequences and the loss that they've had to do in order to get this closure. Exactly. And they've and, lost everyone. The only people they have now is it, each it, other. It's it's a pretty gross sentiment, honestly, that, yeah. that that a kind of emotional closure for someone who's traumatized is is to traumatize more people. Everyone should be traumatized. Yeah. Uh, you're it, on my equal playing it's, field. Yeah. It's, it's terrifying. It's <laughs> like I'm not traumatized it, anymore. It's like there's it's almost like uh, taking the trauma and making it into something cosmic. Now I wish the filmmaking maybe highlighted that more because it's mostly in the writing that you get that. And I think, I think the film does it serviceable. There are moments like there, the part and I wish they had more of this. I don't know why they don't. There's one sequence where it shows an entire from, from his feet up to his uh, head, Michael Myers, like his whole body. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it looks more like a silhouette. And there's this big, like, when yeah. it shows him and it's heavy in bass and yeah. it, it just gave me that feeling really it something gave me that huge feeling of something cosmic something out yeah, of this something. world yeah just just a big massive violent entity and uh i wish it had more of that more more feels you know less yeah. less just hone in on the narrative and just more like just give me that that yeah well vibe. well that's the issue is that a lot of franchise stuff nowadays it needs to have a tight narrative that yeah. people are like oh this makes sense in the franchise well, and i like, like the story plotting is so fucking important to people yeah, plotting is really important to people drives and, I, me insane. And, and i do think that this movie suffers a little bit from being from just dedicating itself so much to the plot i did like yeah how simple it still is yes. and how much it does get the character stuff right and how the filmmaking is mostly capturing both the brutality and it does well with the you know doing a lot of the uh, like mimic in terms of mimicking the carpenter style with how michael feels in the frame and how he kills people Mm -hmm. it does a good job of it it's just you do wish for a tiny bit more like for me i i I honestly wanted a little bit of that psychological rob zombie thing yeah i wanted i wanted that the big ending of that film where laurie is being haunted by um both michael's mom and a young michael in like this cabin and Dr. Loomis is being like, Laurie, there's nothing grabbing you. Like Laurie's like freaking out. Um, and the way that it transfers, uh, the pain and all of the carnage and the violence transfers to Laurie and they like the police shoot Laurie. And then she's, there's this huge wide shot in that film at the end where Laurie is incarcerated in the mental facility. And it's this huge white room and it's this very slow zoom in on the room, almost like Kubrick style. And it's the only shot in the movie that looks like that other than the bit (laughs) of the wide shot of where he killed Octavia Spencer, Michael. Right. And it's like a mimicking shot of that. I actually posted it on Twitter, but like the fact that there's something, you know, that there's just a little bit more of a psychological filmmaking happening and to the abstract nature of Rob Zombie's version of what he's telling. I wish there was more of that in this, but as for a film that doesn't have that, this is probably the best I could have hoped for. Cause as far as, yeah, it feels like a, it feels like a seventies horror movie. Yeah. As as far as franchise plotting, maybe some of the comedy, but yeah, as far as franchise plotting goes though, and, and comedy and horror films and all of this, we could do so much worse. Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) You know, like this isn't, uh, this did feel like a breath of fresh air. Th- in a way. This isn't like the Even Hobbit. Even though it is an homage, you know, it's films. not like the Hobbit. What it does God. with the Lord of the Rings, you <laughs> Thank know. God, it's not the where Hobbit. It's, where it's like those kinds of callbacks and stuff like that. And I do think that it it does have something uniquely perverse about how those callbacks do relate to Laurie's Laurie's own desire to bring the 70s movie back because she's like fuck all of you who live in these modern movies that i don't live in yeah you're gonna come and live in this one with me and there's just isolation and emptiness and 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 brutalization and it's it's total carnage uh so yeah again i while i do admit that i think 
some of the franchise plotting in this can get a little uh, wonky just in the way that all franchise plotting is. Yeah. Um, and I, I, w- I could have wished it maybe hammered home some of the psychological stuff between Lori and the, and the family trauma a little there's, bit harder. Yeah, there's also a few things. And the only really one I can think of is where it's it, it kind of tells you what's going to happen. I mm-hmm. mean, if you think about it for even a second, like, for instance, when you see the, the podcasters with the mask, you're like, oh, yeah. oh well, clearly they're going to die in 10 minutes from now. Right. And he's going to get the mask and that's how he's going to get the mask. And that's exactly what happens. Yeah. But I guess just because of the way it's stylized and the way that it's directed, it still feels very true to Halloween. So you mm-hmm. don't really mind that because oh, there are and, things you've seen before that you know they're coming well and, and, just, and they, it doesn't and, really bother and he you does david gordon green does also expertly use the background foreground stuff a lot of the time too yes. like that bit when they're at the gas station and you see michael in the uh mental patient uh outfit like walk in the background yeah and yeah. then there's the bit where the she walks in and she's like where's the loo uh and he's like what where's the washroom <laughs> yeah. uh and in the background you can see michael with the hammer beating the mechanic i don't know i pointed to you while we were watching it in the theater but you can see michael in that. the back hammering a dude in the background. Oh, that's amazing because so, I didn't notice that. Yeah, so and it, I'm usually like the guy that fucking watches the background more than the foreground at, in every exactly. movie. So like there's, so, there, there's lots of great stuff like cool. that in this that, cool. that recalls that kind of style. Um, and so it, it makes even the inclusion of some characters that you're kind of like not in love with worth it yeah. because the filmmaking actually is serviceable enough for it. Yeah. Um, so again, you know, uh, for me, maybe we'll enter the reductive rating round because we're going super long on this episode. Yeah, you're welcome for this like two hour episode, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. <laughs> for, for me, we just couldn't stop talking about for it. For me, it's it's a tiny bit of a lower four, but it's a four. Yeah, it's it's a solid four for me because okay. I, because I do think that this was the strongest of the sequels, other than for me, honestly, Rob Zombie's Halloween two and um, season of the season of the witch. The next closest would be. Uh, Halloween two that we talked about. And I gave that a three. So this is kind of like the lowest four that I give for Halloween. And if it was a three, it would be the highest three that I give basically. So it's kind of like that. And, And that was where I went on it just because while I do think that pretty much every horror movie nowadays suffers from the sort of, again, this sort of franchise filmmaking that we see all of the time now. And also from this sort of like post you know, we're now in like a post meta slasher now. So, yeah, I, so like it's getting, it's getting a little too self aware. But, but, it, but <laughs> I, I can't tell you how awesome it was to see a slasher that was this simple, this brutal, um, was, was, you know, not embarrassing itself, mimicking a style. Because again, yeah. like you would think that, you know, because this style wouldn't work in every filmmaker's hands. Hell no. No, I, I could get annoyed. This could have very, been so boring. I could, I could, you know, you know, get really upset actually about a movie that used the style and didn't have any justification for it. Yeah. But, oh, yeah. but to see it done Especially as well as I could hope and to see it done in service of a story that I do think is doing something different from most of the other Halloween movies that we've seen. And that really does focus on, on, uh, even when they're not on screen, Laurie and Michael, like it, it, it cuts between Laurie and Michael. Those are the main the things. Best parts. Yeah. Um, and you know, if I had any, wish I would have maybe hoped for a little bit more uh Michael stuff because I do think that the image because you were talking about that image of Michael that where he's silhouetted and he feels amazing the only other time I really felt that is when he's burning when he's burning and he's engulfed in flame and you just see the mask there and stuff like that like that's a huge moment I love that they have him just stare like they don't have him react they just doesn't say anything like he just looks up at them like okay fine 
But yeah, and again, that yeah. that new score that Carpenter does—that's sad. It's the old Halloween theme, but it's it's got the huge guitars going, but it's also has like this very regretful feeling sound to it of like Michael is inside this big burning house. And again, I I think the last like two or three minutes of the film, which include the them trapping him to being in the back of the vehicle as the final shot that tracks from Lori to the mom to the granddaughter all yeah. covered in blood and stuff like that. And it mimics that uh, Texas chainsaw shot where she's riding away in the back of the vehicle. Yeah. I think that that's like a really powerful moment and which what really, cause I could have seen myself giving this a three, but that yeah. final moment, the way that it ends there really did hit for me. And uh, I just wish honestly that more of the first hour honestly kind of played more into that. Yeah. Um, so if anything, I was like, what this does is really solid. I just kind of wish there was more of what it did solid. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, uh, I think I'm right there with you now. I don't know if you noticed, but I didn't rate this yeah. when we got out. Cause you wanted cause to I talk was, about it, right? Dude, I was struggling. <laughs> I was struggling hard. I, I, I was between the three and the four for two days. I still almost feel like I'm still there, honestly. Yeah. Um, but I do want to get a rating out and after the conversation, I, I think it's what you said when we were about to go into the movie theater, which was basically it does do things wrong, but what it does right does it's better. Like what it does right. It, it over, it outweighs the things that it does. It it overpowers every scene for me, you know, for for every bit where I'm like, Oh, you, I wish you would have timed that joke better or maybe not done that joke at all for every one of those. I was impressed by almost every single kill and so many long sequences and basically everything that happens with Jamie Lee Curtis. I like, so it's like, that's, that's like 85% of the movie to 90% of the movie. So it's like, after it gets past the initial setup of just your typical shit that you were like, okay, I mean, we all knew that this was basically from the tracking sequence. Like when Michael is first in the town, I I was in it from from the tracking sequence onward. This is a really great movie. Yeah. And anytime that Lori's on, on screen, I think Jamie Lee Curtis does such a good job of, of, Sorrow in her eyes. Yeah. Because you almost, you you feel for both the family because obviously they have nothing to do. They just were born into this shit, right? Yeah. But then you feel for her because she understands what she's up against and what they could be up against. And so there's a lot of interesting dynamics there with her character. It's not just like, just a one-off, I need revenge or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's a well, bunch see, of stuff to take into and account. And that's what's interesting is H2O is the movie that first did that. Okay, yeah. But that's this the one where they had that that shot of her like looking in the mirror and yeah. then Michael appears or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's a little bit of that in here. But what this adds is really almost like icky gorilla Lori, which yes. adds a whole nother element to it, which I think is a huge element, which I think is yeah. the most important part of the film. That's what worked the most for me yeah. was her part. Uh, so I would say, I think I'm going to for it now. It is also, it is a lower four yeah, just for because me too. there are some issues with it that, that kind of weigh it down. Like I, like I could see people threeing this. Yeah. And I would not even argue yeah, at all. Absolutely. Um, but I think, I think the, the biggest part is that we're watching a movie that feels even though it's a total homage to older films, it feels refreshing mm-hmm. nowadays because because it's unironic. Yeah, exactly. I, I it's a straight up wrong. simple slasher. Love satire, love meta stuff. But at this point in the game, it's getting a little much, and it's like, can we just have a genuine story instead of you having to mock everything all the time? You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So this it was awesome to just go into a movie and be like, this is a horror movie, straight up. We're not doing too much of the meta shit or anything like that. It does just enough. Um, so yeah, I thought, I thought it was really solid. I'm going to give it a four. Awesome. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for Halloween. I don't think there's anything we missed on that, but I, I, we, <laughs> I wouldn't hope so with, with how long we've gone on yeah. this. Yeah. Jesus Christ. 
Uh, oh my God. This was the analysis right here. There you, we you go. You need a Halloween analysis. There you Two go. Two hours of it. <laughs> yeah, but man, I, I really can't just stress enough how much the, the idea that they made Lori desire having Michael kill everyone almost. Yeah. Like that is such a gross idea and yeah. really got under my skin when I actually started thinking about the movie. Yeah. And when I rewatched the movie, because I saw it at the Toronto Film Fest and to write a That's review of I it. That's what I really want to do. I feel and like I was get and so, way more out the second time. So when I watched it with you the second time, I watched the whole movie with that in mind. And watching all of this unfold, it gets even sadder when you think about that. Yeah. Um, like all of the deaths are even sadder because you're like all of this exists solely because one traumatized person wanted to infect more people yeah. so that she wasn't alone. So she doesn't feel and, alone and how that is in direct conversation thematically with John Carpenter's original film about her isolation yeah. and about this this sort of wavelength that she's on that no one else is on cosmic that, connection to Michael kind of thing exactly so she's like almost everyone should be aware of this wavelength everyone and I mean maybe they should maybe they should be prepared for it yeah. but she's but to, she's but to so throw it onto them but she's so prepared <laughs> for it that she yeah she basically she doesn't, yeah, she's like, well, I'm prepared, so if you're not, whatever. Yeah, like I like I'm gonna throw it it's on not you my fault intentionally. You That's a great to me way of saying. Years. It. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty much what it is. And I, I do think that that is. I think there is a bit of that. I think there's almost a bit of like a revenge thing for her in a way. It's like you isolated me in a way too by not believing in my story and by yeah. not taking it seriously. And now you have to take it seriously. Well, and you can see in Jamie Lee's performance when she goes and talks to her daughter when the shit is hitting the fan finally. Yeah. Uh, she she just sits there and she breaks down. She's like, I am so sorry, is yeah. basically what she says. Because I think she does eventually realize what she has wrought. And maybe she also regrets it too. Yeah. Um, but it's just like, yeah, that, that bit where she's just like, I prayed for him every night to it's get loose. Moment. Yeah. Uh, and the way that she delivers it and everything, like it's just, yeah. Again, this, this movie, surprisingly simple and brutal. And it hits on an interestingly thematic and emotional idea yeah. and i don't know what else i could have expected from a halloween movie in 2018 honestly yeah that's just it so yeah definitely so that's gonna be it all right so that'll wrap it up for halloween 2018 as well as halloween 1978 halloween <laughs> 2 1981 and halloween 3 season of the witch 1982 1982 that's right, right? yeah, yeah that's it? right one Sweet. year later nailed right. it awesome <laughs> uh so that's gonna be it thanks so much for listening everyone if you made it through i think this is two hours long so yeah, be fuck a long me one. but if you like halloween i think you'll appreciate it yeah and a lot of you will skip around to the ones that you want to hear and talk about yeah. so it's all good we'll have the time codes <laughs> we'll have the kind time of. codes in the description there a little bit um uh shit so in one week's time uh patrons you guys can uh expect us we're gonna be talking about uh dario argento yeah. We have a new Suspiria movie coming out. Some of you will be able to see it uh, in uh, early November there, I believe. So when that episode comes out a week later, some of you might have seen it. But uh, we won't because it doesn't come here for us until late November. Yeah. So basically, we're going to be just talking about the original Suspiria the original, yeah. to get everyone in the zone for a new Suspiria. And then we're going to be talking about its quasi-thematic sequel, Inferno, uh, both by Dario Argento. Um, so that's 1977 and 1980, I believe. So yeah. that's what we're going to be talking about in one week's time for patrons. Again, you can find that on patreon.com slash Lizoids podcast, but for free listeners, for all listeners on SoundCloud, iTunes, wherever Stitcher, we'll be back in two weeks time and we're going to be having a, a guest on and we're going to be talking, uh, 1934, the black cat. Nice. Uh, and we're going to be talking widow blue, which from oh, what I understand is a horror porn film from oh, the 1970s. Yeah. <laughs> 
this is what the guest has chosen. And I said, okay. Getting down and dirty next week, folks. We're going super Sorry. sleazy. We're talking a full-out porn film, yeah. horror film. So that's what we're going to be talking about in two weeks' time. Uh, and yeah, that'll basically wrap it up. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy.